Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Coming to you live from the home of the back-to-back Grey Cup champion, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Oh, cannot wait for the next couple hours. It's great to have you with us. Shout out to everyone. I don't know whether we've ever had this many people literally sitting in the YouTube chat waiting for us to get going. But it's Championship Monday in Peg City. Welcome to the program. Andrew Patterson along with Michael Remus. And uh, we're going to spend quite a bit of time talking about a historic win yesterday in Hamilton in enemy territory for the back-to-back Grey Cup champion Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Um, Jeff Hamilton will join us from, I guess he's in Toronto right now, in between Hamilton and getting back to Winnipeg. Hammer's going to join us from a, uh, a very excellent location in the airport. We'll break down Jeff's thoughts on the game, um, what this means for the organization going forward, and some of the many, many wild storylines coming out of an absolute Grey Cup classic yesterday. Uh, And then we'll kind of dig down a little bit more into the game itself with Marshall Ferguson, one of the great minds covering the Canadian Football League. Marshall, of course, in Hamilton. We'll get an idea, too, about the level of heartbreak um, in the hammer um, after their team was so close to winning their first championship since 1999. Um, So all that coming up, we will have some more uh, updates on the Winnipeg Jets as well who did get back to practice today and will take on the Buffalo Sabres tomorrow. Uh, And of course, an update on Blake Wheeler. I'll let you know right off the bat, nothing concrete, but uh, Coach Maurice did say today that the captain of the Winnipeg Jets will be out weeks, not days. More tests coming. No call up right now due to a a positive COVID case with the Manitoba Moose. So it looks like the team will be going 11-7 and against the Buffalo Sabres. We will get to a little bit of the Jets story later on in the program, but as you can imagine... It is all about the champs today. Um, And just before we get to it, I welcome Michael Remus in and everyone in the YouTube chat. And of course, everyone listening on podcast. I do want to give a thanks to all the sponsors that make this show happen every day, including F Apparel. Uh, By the way, did you check out that custom F suit that Willie J was rocking at the awards on the Friday night? That is style personified. Um, Vita Health Fresh Market, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports. Royal's going to be busy with those championship hats and tees coming in very soon. Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club Whiskey, and Cool Bet Canada. All right, let's get Remus in here and let's get this show on the road. Jeff Hamilton coming up in about 20 minutes. And in the second hour of the program, we'll talk more about how the Bombers did it and some of the key plays back and forth on both sides with Marshall Ferguson. Remo, uh, they did it. Um, but man, what a roller coaster that Grey Cup was yesterday. Uh, it'll be a game that no one will ever forget. It ended up going the right way, but uh, holy smokes, not easy at all to run it back. I mean, no team had done it since 2009-10 with the Montreal Alouettes. The Bombers as an organization hadn't gone back-to-back since 1961. And credit to the Hamilton Tiger Cats for pushing the champs right to the limit. But in the end, the Bombers did what they pretty much did all season long. And that was rise in the face of adversity and get the W. Yeah, I, I really can't believe I'm still in um, in disbelief. I mean, that comeback, I'm almost reminded of some of the great comebacks by uh, Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. I think it was on that level. But you had plays uh, from players on both sides of the ball, a lot of key plays. Um, but, I mean, overall, 
you know, have been following the Bombers for a while and go through some of those dark years in the mid-2010s. We always have fun listing off uh, the, you know, the long list of quarterbacks that were there. To be back-to-back Grey Cup champions, um, incredible accomplishment. Uh, so proud of uh, of the team and, and the city and to... Um, you know, I was watching the game and like, well, you know, they were so great during the regular season, lots to be proud of, and I thought it was dreading, you know, coming on, but you thought that there was definitely time in the fourth quarter to come back if they could finally get something going. They did. They won. Um, it was incredible to watch. I mean, you're, that was a game where you're watching it in the fourth quarter and your heart is racing on that Ticats final drive or on any of the Bombers drive, especially overtime or because they had to be pretty much mistake-free in the fourth if they wanted to come back, and uh, and they were. And it started off excellent, but, I mean, lots. There's so many um, key plays we can get to, but uh, well, what an what incredible game. Yeah, and I'll say this, and I would love to hear people's thoughts on the chat, because, I mean, any one of my vintage that's been following this team for a long time, I mean, you know, up until 2019, all we had really known was heartbreak and disappointment. And that was sort of part of our identity as Blue Bomber fans. And then that all changed in 2019, Um, you know, against all odds, going on the road with a quarterback that had played one regular season game. um, The Bombers stepped up and won that championship and ended the drought. And, you know, then you come in, you have a lost season and you come into this year. And even in game one of the regular season, we all remember that special night at IG Field, the Grey Cup rematch. The Ticats came in as favorites in that game. You know, people still, I don't think, understood just how good the Bombers were top to bottom as a team and, and how good they were. And this sounds crazy, but at winning games, doing what it takes to to win, winning those battles that, you know, can often be the difference between, you know, getting two points in the standings and you know, regretting not making more of your opportunities. I mean, we saw this all season long, but there weren't a lot of close games. And man, I mean, right off the bat, I'll give Kyle Walters a lot of credit. What was the one thing we talked about, Reem, every day on this program for about the first nine, 10 weeks of the season? It was the kicking game. It was the kicking game. And, you know, you can beat the hell out of teams by 20 and 30 points in the regular season, but we've been saying all season long, you're not going through the entire year in winning blowouts at some point later on in the year, probably in the playoffs, probably when it's cold, the kicking game is going to be incredibly important. And they went out and got Sergio Castillo and Holy smokes. Did that acquisition pay off yesterday in a lot of ways, Kyle Walters, I think everyone knew why he did it. Um, but you want to talk about being proven correct. Um, they got a guy that was absolute money and to be honest, Reem, yesterday, that first kick he, he, uh, he sent through the upsorites was dead center in the middle. And I said to the guys I was with, he is locked in, and uh, that was a medlock money shot. And he was money the rest of the way. And we'll talk about the uh, Most Outstanding Player Award and the Most Outstanding Canadian Award, because I think in typical bomber fashion, there was a ton of players that probably should have been considered for it, and they ended up you know, picking who they did. But man, the performance of Sergio Castillo coming in towards the end of the season um, ended up being hugely impactful. And, um, you know, it was a game where the offense really struggled for the better part of three quarters. I thought the defense played as advertised for the most part. And man, special teams was big, not only when it comes to Sergio Castillo, uh, but man, the coverage team for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers was huge, especially on the punts. Um, You know, when you're punting, you know, especially against that wind in the second and third quarter, 
the ability to prevent big runbacks and, and limit the damage from field position, I think, was massive. Uh, but then it all came down to the fourth quarter. Backs against the wall, down 12 with the wind. And uh, they got it done. And again, we'll talk a little bit about the coin toss. But also, I thought Mike O'Shea was brilliant with his decisions, including deciding to take the wind in the fourth quarter as opposed to the ball in the second half. And man, was that impactful when the Bombers needed a big comeback in that final 15 minutes. Yeah, and I know I see a lot of people giving love to Sergio Castillo. We tweeted this out exactly one year I lost my job with the Jets. I went one for four on field goals versus Seattle. Today we went, or I went five for five field goals. I'm a Grey Cup champion. Keep the faith. Wouldn't be here without the support, without my teammates and support from my family. And here here he is in the locker room after. Uh, incredible performance. You know, it's funny. Going into the game, I mean, we had talked about the odds and the spread. And we knew the Bombers, we thought they were, you know, head and shoulders, the best team in the league. But for whatever reason, the line was moving towards Hamilton. And I really, um, I didn't understand why the Bombers were three, you know, I thought, you know, three and a half point was pretty, pretty good. I guess they were getting some big money on Hamilton, started moving towards Hamilton. And um, I was saying, hey, you know what, telling my friends who maybe don't follow the I'm like, hey, this line shouldn't be this much. Like it should, Bombers should be favored by way more. And I mean, hey, they ended up uh, winning and covering. I mean, it was, didn't think it got there away, you know, the you know non-conventional see, way. Yeah. Good teams win, great teams cover. And yeah. uh, the Bombers not only won, but they covered. And, you know, we'll get to Tim White's decision to take the single point and make it a three-point deficit. And then Hamilton coming down, kicking that field goal to tie it up. But... Um, like the money line number on this game was minus 200. So essentially you had to wager 200 to win 100 in the Bombers earlier in the week. It ended up closing at minus 118. I mean, it was an avalanche of money apparently on the, on the Ticats. And, you know, maybe that was the excitement of people in the area that were getting on it. Um, maybe it was the fact that they were the home team and people really thought that this was going to be the, the, the moment. It was the storybook. I'm not sure. But I'm with you. I mean, I thought there was incredible value on the Bombers considering what we had. But then again, we got an absolute classic of a game that could have gone either way. Um, but the Bombers did it. If you had them at minus one, if you had them at minus three, mm-hmm. minus four, minus five, it didn't matter. They got it done. Cast your tickets. The over hit as well. Um, and man, the touchdown props on the Bombers. I Nick Dembski was the one guy I was on. Uh, but of course, he got in Bailey and Darvin Adams, all with some nice numbers. But uh, I think the only thing most fans in our chat right now caring about is the Bombers won that mm-hmm. money line bet, got it done, are back-to-back champions of the CFL. Yeah, I mean, um, again, I mean, you're watching the game. Uh, a lot of people I see in chat giving credit, saying the wind was the MVP, and it was amazing what a factor it was. You saw on kicks and punts. Um, you know, and the Bombers for three quarters couldn't seem to put it together. But uh, in the fourth quarter, I, I tweeted out the graphic, huh? Zach Kolaris, um, you know, he, you know, made his made his money in the fourth quarter. What was he? Nine for 13 in the fourth and overtime, 119 yards, two touchdowns, zero picks, 137.5 QB rating. Uh, they seemed to figure out moving the ball. I mean, it started off, I thought the, I thought the Bombers seemed like they were going to crush him, but I think the, the first turning point of the game, was Dane Evans uh, getting knocked out. And we know that they had had, you know, swap quarterbacks before. I th- I've been a big Masoli guy. But I think Masoli, I think he caused a lot of uh, problems. Just the fact that he's way more mobile than Dane Evans. And you saw it on a couple um, just up-the-gut sneaks and uh, how he could move around and find time. And, you know, it seemed like uh, early on, I mean, Claris didn't have much time to throw. The pocket was collapsing. And 
Uh, I didn't see a lot of the bombers, you know, getting to mm-hmm. Masoli. And I think that, you know, for the first three quarters, uh, I mean, that was a big part of the game. Hey, credit where credit is due. Hamilton played a hell of a football game. Mm-hmm. I mean, their defensive line without Ted Laurent, uh, I was stunned at how much of a problem they became for both the bomber running game and Zach Caleros earlier in the game. I mean, the bombers had the wind in the first quarter. Um, and did move the football, but I mean, they really weren't able to, I mean, they had a couple field goals in the Rouge, so they got seven points on the board, but, um, but I mean, they weren't really, they were had some problems from the Hamilton side of things. And then you flip the script and you're going against the wind in the second quarter, you give up the 10 points and then you're going against the wind in the third quarter and the wind, I think it was Tristan rivers that just popped in. I mean, Adam big Hill's biggest play all game might have been winning the coin talk. And, you know, you don't really think about that very often as being that impactful, but O'Shea being able to, you know, choose to have the wind in the fourth quarter, essentially defer their decision to the second half and making a point of having that wind in the fourth quarter is something if you play football, you grow up, your coaches tells you back in nine-man football and in high school football, let's be in a close game and let's get the wind in the fourth quarter. And that's exactly what Mike O'Shea and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were, were planning on doing. But you had to get to that fourth quarter and be in the game. And man, Remus, it was close at times. I mean, I think down with the Hamilton Tiger Cats running, you know, up nine points, very close to going into the end zone again. I mean, that changes the game entirely. Uh, But the ability for the Bombers to hold them to that field goal, then being down still 12 points, double digits in the fourth quarter was significant. Um, and it was time to step up and show up. And that's exactly what Zach Caleros did. I know there's a lot of debate about whether Zach Caleros was the MOP. Um, but like I said to you beforehand, I mean, this was a game. And in typical Winnipeg Blue Bomber fashion, where there were so many guys that stepped up at particular times and made plays, you could have probably taken half a dozen of guys and, you know, announced that they were the most outstanding player and people wouldn't have blinked an eye. I think quarterbacks always get maybe the benefit of the doubt, if you will, because of the importance of the position. Um, but it was everybody coming together. And I think showing that championship pedigree in the fourth quarter, something that Hamilton was lacking. And I mean, it was little plays. I mean, Remo, we were talking before we came on about a couple key penalties, uh, a lining up offside on a third and one, um, you know, a 15 yard roughing penalty by one of the offensive linemen on Winston Rose. All of those penalties became very, very impactful. But to the Ticats credit, man, they battled right down to the wire. And I got to tell you, I mean, there were some very nervous moments when they were so close in, in uh, at the end of the game with the ability to maybe just go for it. They ended up deciding to kick the field goal and take it to overtime. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at that point, that single given up by Tim White became very, very impactful. But I'm not sure they were ever really planning on kicking the field goal. It wasn't until they got so close, and it was a pretty sure head chip shot. Um, but I think they were thinking touchdown most of that time. And uh, as I said, the team went to overtime. The Bombers got six and two, and the rest is history. As far as for a game put together by a championship defense, one of the great CFL defenses of all time, and in my opinion, the best defense that I've ever seen, pretty damn appropriate way for this game to end and the team to win a back-to-back championship on a walk-off pick six touched by three different members of the defense before Kyrie Wilson uh, had it in his hands, was down, and the confetti started flying. Yeah, that, I mean, there were a couple key plays there. Um, we can, we'll get to the, uh, that single. I mean, uh, Masoli on that, uh, on the winning drive, the third down play to Acklin. 
But that uh, interception, I mean, touched by uh, three guys, including Winston Rose. I think he was the only, was he the only player in the game to wear the full hoodie, the baggy sleeves and the hood coming out of his jersey. I said, I tweeted up, like, put that thing in uh, on display somewhere because he made the play, you know, to save it from the, hitting the ground. I mean, there's so many good plays, and then get into Kyrie Wilson's arms. The one, you know, one thing that stands out for me when watching uh, the replay of the game, and the CFL has like a 14-minute recap on their website where you can kind of zip zip through it all. The Thai Cats kicked three field goals that game. The longest one of those was 13 yards, and whenever and in key times in the third and fourth quarter, when they got into the red zone, um, they were held to field goals. And you know, early in the game, the Bombers were the ones who were kicking the field goals. But later, uh, they scored a touchdown. But everyone, everyone talking has about that single given up. And I was watching the game. You know, they kicked the field goal with uh, Castillo, who, I mean, what an incredible ad- addition to the team. Uh, and, I mean, he's put up an MVP caliber performance. If a kicker can ever be an MVP. But um, when, he, when uh, White took down the knee, I had to double check to make sure that that was... <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure they just gave up the point that would be give them the the lead or get we would make it a tie if they were to kick a field goal and to me i was under the impression like you never give up i mean if you need a field goal for a win you never concede the point that would give you only a tie for a field goal however i mean it looked like there was a lot of room he could have ran out to the 20. however he does take you to the 35. they were going up against the wind you get to the 35 with no time taken off the clock i'm kind of at the time i thought you know, this was really not a smart decision, but I can kind of see. I, I'm I'm still of the opinion that like, you don't give up that point no matter what, because you can in still the circumstances. Kill the win. Yeah. Uh, now, here's the thing. I I can tell you right now. I think the kicking game of the Thai Cats was a major red flag going in. I don't think they had a ton of confidence in their kicker. Um, it's part of the reason why you saw them, you know, go for the real short ones. But uh, other than that, and there wasn't really that many situations. I guess that would have called for it. Um, but I think they were playing to win that game at that time. And I think they figured that starting on the 35 yard line would have been, you know, important for them. Now, in retrospect, I mean, you Monday morning quarterback it and ended up being very impactful. I mean, if everything had played out the way that it did, but they didn't give up that point, they're great cup champs by one point. Now, I don't think you can really say that. I think maybe things are played a little bit differently if you don't have that three point cushion. Um, but regardless, it'll be something that people will be talking about for a long time. I have to say, I know there's a lot of people in the chat talking about um, just the game, the atmosphere. Uh, you know, being having lived through that 29-year drought and knowing how important this football team is to our city and our province and Blue Bomber fans around the world, um, I've got a real soft spot for the Ticats. I mean, that is a city that has a lot of Winnipeg in it. Their fan base have uh, have a lot of, you know, a very similar style to, to ours. and and man, Remo, that scene, like I was surprised at how one-sided, I mean, I know it was a home game for the Ticats, but it's the great cop. I just sort of figured that, you know, you'd see a lot more fans from other CFL cities and maybe a few more Bomber fans, but credit to the Ticats for stepping up, um, you know, and their fans for really showing up behind their team. And I got to tell you, man, I got chills. That intro of the Ticats coming into the welcome to the jungle at the beginning of the game. I mean, that was a moment for that city. And, um, you know, they just about had their greatest moment in the last 20 years. Uh, but it was uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers that stepped up and got it done in the fourth quarter and in overtime. And uh, 
They'll have to wait another year for another crack, and it'll be interesting. We'll talk to Marshall about this a little later on, just how different that team may very well look, both from a personnel standpoint and from a coaching standpoint, with Steinhauer rumored to, rumored to potentially be getting an offer uh, to go to the University of Washington for a huge raise and a defensive coordinator position. But, uh, you know, even as happy as everyone is right now, I think all remembering where we've come from as Bomber fans and what we went through for three decades before 2019 and this incredible dynastic run we're in the middle of right now for the Bombers, um, you got it. You got to feel. Um, you got to feel for the Ticat fans and uh, especially that crowd that was there last night and uh, watching that thriller in person. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was watching the game. I was like, oh, you know, I guess it was just too much for the Bombers. Um, you know, they're in Hamilton, basically a road game. Zach Clark said it was like 95% Thai Cats fans. You could feel how loud, how passionate they are. And I agree, it does kind of remind you of Winnipeg, especially now with their uh, Grey Cup drought since 1999. But, I mean, Bombers are able to overcome it. I mean, absolutely incredible. I'm still, I'm still shocked at uh, what I witnessed. So many little plays going that led to it um you know nick dembski's touchdown where you know he's led him to be named most uh, valuable canadian uh, rashid bailey you know making a number of catches including that diving one which the ball definitely didn't touch the ground uh, we, we saw we saw that one also he had the two-point conversion darvin adams who was kind of quiet all season the huge, uh, huge touchdown in overtime. You knew I mean, Darwin was going to show yeah. up in the playoffs with a few big plays, considering how mm -hmm. quiet he was during the regular season. And that, and you know what? You never heard a peep out of Darvin Adams because of it. And that is, mm -hmm. that's why this team, I think, is so special. Um, you know, different guys stepped up at different times. And even players that before had been the go-to guys, you know, accepted their role on a week-by-week -week basis. And it was all about something bigger. And that was winning football games and they did more of it than anyone else, and they won the most important one yesterday in thrilling fashion. Oh, yeah. And um, and I think that's the thing you hear from all these guys. They seem to all believe in the team concept. Um, they all believe in each other. It seemed very close-knit. Um, and I think, I mean, that's what you want to see from a team. And, um, I mean, they, they had the experience from last year, I think, or last time, which was was huge. But... You know, you hear Mike O'Shea's like, "Oh yeah, we were down, but we, you know, we had the win. We never wavered. They always believed in themselves, and it was just little play after little play. I mean, there were a couple, as you said, key penalties. That penalty, I thought, a number sixty-nine for for Hamilton. You mentioned. I mean, it was that's a tough one to take on a near first down. Um, you know, lining up offside as well. It went from later. second and one to second and sixteen. I mean, mm -hmm. it was an absolutely devastating. I mean, if that penalty doesn't happen, they're almost assured mm -hmm. of getting a first down. You've got yeah. a couple more plays at least. You run down a bunch more clock. And there's no doubt about it that that was, you know, one of the most impactful moments in the fourth quarter that went in uh, that went in the favor of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Hamilton didn't do themselves any favors with a couple of penalties at dead key times. Uh, do we want to quickly hear from the coach before we uh, before we get to Hammer? Sure. Uh, yeah. Well, well, let's do that. We can play a coach, and then we can go to uh, go to Hammer. You. This is just yeah. after. What is it? After the game. Uh, you know, coach. Uh, what do you think of the win? How how are you feeling out here? So here, I'll throw it on. Hamilton had a real good plan, and they stifled us for a lot of the game. So, and then honestly, it's. It's one of those coin flip games. If you win the toss, you got a real chance in the fourth. And and that's how what it came down to really was 
having a we got some opportunities that we drove a little bit but you could also pin them a little bit so um and they had a an unbelievable drive then to uh to tie it up at the end to force overtime so um i'm sure it was a pretty exciting fan uh, uh game for the fans Mike, I had a chance to talk to Adam Big Hill out there on the field, and he said the confidence was as high as it's ever been when you were down 12 points going into that fourth quarter. Is yeah. that uh, the way you saw it? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think there was one doubter on the bench. If there was, we wouldn't win, you know, because you need everybody to to believe. Um, Jake Thomas came out at half and said, "We got this," and I don't think it even mattered what what happened from. The start of the half till the end, it didn't. I don't think it even mattered. We were going to figure out a way to do it. You've obviously won great cups before, but is that about as thrilling as it can get? Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, looking back on it now, at the moment you're in, you're in the moment, right? So you're not thinking about how thrilling it is. You're, you're certainly not letting your emotions take, uh, take control. Um, but looking back on it, yeah. I mean, it's a hell of a game. That was a hell of a game. All right, there's Blue Bomber head coach Mike O'Shea, um, and I'm looking forward to talking about O'Shea, his place in Blue Bomber history, um, what this means for him individually amongst the annals of CFL coaches, certainly here in Winnipeg, as well as going forward. Um, just before we bring Jeff on, a big shout out to our friends at F Apparel. I mentioned, did you see Willie J in that incredible custom suit with the X Men on the inside of the uh, on the inside of the suit on Friday night? Uh, of course, that was from our guys over at uh, F Apparel. I have a feeling a few bombers might be getting a few with uh, back-to-back inside them. Um, everyone needs a uh, at least one suit that fits and looks great, and I know that you maybe haven't been going out very much, but we're going into 2022, and hopefully that'll be a much bigger part of our daily routines. Um, and F Apparel is the place to do it. Custom-made suits starting at just $400. are also the top choice in Winnipeg for wedding and grad suits. And wedding parties get 15% off when the group buys their suits from us. Uh, Make an appointment or find out more at fapparel.com. And don't forget, gift cards right now purchased online at fapparel.com. 15% off. So a $200 gift card costs you only $170 right now. Um, You know, we're going to be getting into the holidays and then a lot of New Year's resolutions. One resolution might be spend a little bit more time eating healthy over with our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market. Stock with Winnipeg's best selection of local organic and natural groceries, supplements, and beauty products, all at great prices with a very knowledgeable staff that'll help you make the right purchases for you and your family. Organic produce, local grass-fed meats, and my favorite part, a great grab-and-go deli with amazing sandwiches, wraps, and Vita Market salads. Um, it's really phenomenal and, uh, you know, maybe a bit better than hitting the drive-thru. Um, great local company that's been in business since 1936, 85 years of empowering people to lead healthy lives. Seven locations in Winnipeg for Vita Health Fresh Market, including the newest store in Linden Ridge. You can find out more online at myvita.ca. And, uh, hey, it's, uh, it's the holidays. People are going to be drinking a lot of things. You make sure you've got the good water, though, for your guests and your family. Of course, Culligan Water celebrating 65 years in business. Um, But with all the holiday hosting, get a Culligan Water softener and cut down on those hard water stains. 
for sparkling clean SIGs, tumps, and showers, everyone will appreciate, not to mention keeping hard water stains off your glasses and dishes for a holiday sparkle even your mother-in-law will love. Uh, Culligan Water special for the month of December, $9.99 for the first three months, or you can give the gift of Culligan Water for $9.99 for the first three months. Give Keenan the gang a call over at Culligan Water, 204-694-5180, Sergeant Avenue, or find out more online at drinkculligan.com. All right, joining us before he boards a flight back to the home of the Grey Cup, Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press joins us now. Hammer, uh, how are you? What a game. What a week it seemed like. Uh, how are you doing today? Yeah, Huss, I was going to say, um, maybe maybe I could get a sponsorship with Cull- Culligan Water and uh, maybe even get on with uh, Vita Health and... <laughs> I don't know, man. It's uh, after it's great cup week. It sounds cup, appropriate. Yeah. Great cup. Great cup week was a great week. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, obviously very happy for Winnipeg fans. I mean, I, I'm, did that really happen? That's literally the lead of my column today. I still am asking myself that question. It was, it was just an incredible game, you know, and I tweeted out earlier being like, it was such a great week. Hamilton put on such a great show. Um, I even mentioned to you, I think that, uh, you know, Hamilton's back in the good books. I'm, I'm staying at the airport. I was at the airport today. It's Jeff Hamilton. Hamilton like the city. You know, I'm, I'm back to back to promote it though again. It was just an awesome show. I, but I tweeted out, I hope it's just as, an, as entertaining of a game. That was an understatement. It was just awesome. I think Randy Ambrosi jinxed it when he came to our, you know, football reporters at Canada breakfast in the morning and he was hoping for a 30-30 tie um, and then and whoever won after that. So we were just looking at ourselves in the press box. We couldn't believe it as as time, you know, dwindled by and, and uh, you know, we saw what we saw and, and the Bombers are, you know, back-to-back champions. It just seems weird to say it. Well, and, and listen, the way that it happened too, I mean, battling back a 12-point deficit in the fourth quarter in a game that I think we'll always remember. I mean, if you if you weren't watching the game closely or really understood the conditions, it might be lost on how impactful the wind was. And, you know, some people are saying Adam Big Hill's biggest play in the entire game was picking the coin toss right, allowing them to defer and getting the wind in the fourth quarter. But, um, but Jeff, I mean, the wind was such an impactful part of this football game. Um, You know, I think after the first quarter, I think the Bombers had to think that, you know, the the lack of offensive um, connection in that first 15 minutes might be problematic because they were able to get the seven points on the board, but then they were spending the next 30 minutes going up against the wind. And um, all of a sudden you got a 12 point to 12 point um, deficit to make up uh, with your entire season on the line. Yeah. I mean, I'll address the wind right away. It was absolutely bananas. The wind the day before, I don't know if you had heard about it or I talked did. to anybody. I've never seen wind like that. I thought it was, it was blowing over the stadium. You could hear it from inside Tim Hortons field. I don't mean like inside the stadium in the seats. I mean, inside the building and the second floor of the media where the media was taking place. You could, you could literally hear it. My hotel room, my window, it ripped off my screen and it was like smashing against the wall. So it wasn't quite that intense. I don't think they would have been able to play a football game to be honest with you, if it was that intense, but it was certainly intense. It looked like no one was going to score points going that direction you knew you had to get within, I, kept, I think they kept saying the 35 might be makeable. So like, you know, teams were going with that as far as field goals. That's what made Hamilton's drive back so impressive. They did that against the wind. And so it certainly was a massive factor. Um, 
you knew anyone who's watched Bomber games this year, winning the toss and deferring to the second half is Mike O'Shea's bread and butter. It's what he does. Um, you know, he always takes the win or, you know, and because he believes in this defense, he believes, well, if you want to take the ball right off the bat, heck, there's been ha- like half a dozen games this year where people keep sending me emails. Why does, why, why is the other team getting the ball in the first and second half? It's because they, they trust their defense. They trust that they're not going to get, um, you know, they're going to pin them there and they're going to get the ball back in scoring position and they and and they'd rather you know have the wind or at least that decision uh, of wind in the second half so it's kind of like a you know have your cake and eat it too situation because you have just so much trust in the defense but um certainly a, a massive factor obviously the home crowd was another one but um the the weather was the weather was crazy it was a whole different game and i thought you know there were some colleagues of mine and i don't uh, won't tell them who they are but they you know they live in the same city as us they didn't quite think that maybe this was going to happen i said guys you've never been to a cfl game before like desperate times call for desperate measures and that's when you throw the ball deep and so just an absolute classic one that's going to be remembered forever and certainly you know as as much as it was different from the 2019 season um that game where the the bombers pretty much dominated from start to finish you could feel almost a sense of shock on the field afterward obviously a ton of joy gratitude and all those things but i think it was an extra layer just given what you know how close this thing was and how close it was to you know going the other way well, I did say that, you know, at least on the, uh, the, the, the id of the fan, which had been beaten down over 29 years, expecting the worst at all times before the Bombers actually got it done. Uh, and then this season where they just proved that they were the best team pretty much every night after night, I, I would say there was probably far more confidence than at any point before that the Bombers were capable of coming back in that fourth quarter because they what they'd done in the past but we're still talking about coming back from a double-digit deficit in the fourth quarter in a championship game. And um, I'll tell you what, the offense got going because they had to. It had been a very pedestrian offensive performance through three quarters. I thought the defense was brilliant. And again, Jeff's special team, such a big part of this game. Sergio Castillo, who I think you can absolutely make an argument that was the most outstanding outstanding player of the game um, amongst many players that would be considered for it. But I'll tell you what, throughout the game, I thought that maybe the most under uh, under underestimated part of what the Bombers did well mm. was their coverage teams on the punts. I mean, yes. you know, this was a field position game, especially when you're talking about how impactful that win was. And Absolutely. in the second and third quarter, the Bombers coverage units not giving up almost anything on returns, I thought was exactly what this team needed because frankly, the offense wasn't doing enough and moving the chains where there was a lot of pressure on those units and, of course, the defense, which goes without saying. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you'd said it off mic before this. It was vintage Blue Bomber football in the sense that everybody had a piece of it. I mean, you aren't coming – you're down by 12 points, so you obviously need to get your offense going, but you're not – covering a 12-point deficit without the play of the defense, getting the offense the ball, the play of special teams. I mean, Sergio Castillo could have easily been the MVP of that game. Now, I will say this, anyone who has a problem with the MVP of that game, I did not vote, but I was the deciding vote in case of a tie, so didn't get down to that. But I certainly, I mean, it, like I said, it, like you said, it, it, it is vintage Blue Bomber football. It was, um, you know, this is a team that believes in each other. I mean, even the conversations after on the field, I mean, to a man, guys were saying I never once doubted this and you know I'm thinking to myself really because double digits is double digits and this is a Ticats team um, mind you they were against the wind so certainly had that advantage but they did not have the advantage of the wind blowing from the stands from all the fans yelling like they, these guys thought it was going to be a 
you know, talking to guys throughout the week, they thought it was going to be about a 75, 25 split, you know, like, okay, majority of, majority of, uh, you know, Tiger Cats fans, obviously with the game being at Tim Hortons field in Hamilton, but, you know, spread out with some bomber fans and then some others, it was about 95, five, it was a sea of black. It was, it was insane. And you could hear it. You could feel it. Um, you know, I just, you know, I, I'm obviously great for the Winnipeg fans and all that. My heart goes out to the Thai Cats a little bit um, and their fan base because, you know, they're, they didn't have it quite as bad as Winnipeg, but, um, you know, they're stuck in a drought. They have, the, I think, their curse. I mean, you look at some of the historical things they've gone through and, you know, even even 2019 where they were just absolute beasts throughout the, throughout the regular season. And I think we saw that with the Bombers this year, right? I mean, they were absolute beasts. They were the class of the league and, you know, People rallied behind that. Players rallied against that, right? The Bombers had a target on their back all season long. And, you know, that was part of my story, uh, you know, my column afterwards was, you know, the, this buildup throughout Grey Cup week about how the Bombers had not faced adversity and how, you know, things were easy and the injuries that they r- racked up didn't compare to the injuries from from other teams around the league and, you know, all these things, right? And, like, stuff that, like, they should get credit for was being used against them, right? The continuity on the roster. Well, that's an impressive feat because we all know in the CFL – roster turnover significant roster turnover is something that happens every every year to almost every team um so they should get credit for that but i mean i also thought it was one of those things too that uh everyone dealt with adversity covid19 i mean credit to the bombers man i mean you're you're, you're seeing you're seeing the calgary flames have their games delayed now to, to december 16th because of, of, of a covid outbreak these guys don't live in million dollar homes they don't have resources to hide from the public and the bombers did not turn in one positive test all season long that's like that's like that is adversity that is discipline obviously a bit of luck but that's all those things in there that this team was dialed in they're ready to go they play for each other it's such a cliche to talk about how much players like each other how genuine those relationships are i'm telling you it's not cliche with these guys it's it's real it's the reason why they went back to back it's the reason why they were able to erase you know a fourth quarter lead that they did against a home crowd and it's likely going to be the reason why they're going to be back in 2022 because i got a i got a big feeling that although there's a handful there's only a few guys that are under contract for next season we're going to see a big chunk of this team back and they're going to be you know they're just going to be remembering this it's crazy it's just back-to-back champions it sounds like a a crazy thing here hey shout out to uh, john burns in the uh with the super chat in the gray cup is a windy game why did winnipeg have so many problems isn't winnipeg all about windy days well listen both teams had it i frankly i think would say that the bombers maybe handled it better i mean at times i mean certainly we saw hamilton did i mean both teams did their damage when they had the wind Mm-hmm. Um, but when it came down to the kicking game, punting or whatnot, I thought there was an advantage for Winnipeg. And certainly we know what Sergio Castillo uh, was able to do. Let's talk about what this means, maybe big picture outside of this win, because first back-to-back championships, it's 1961 for this team. First team to do it since the Alouettes in 09-2010. Um, like I don't know, people can decide what their definition of whether this is the dynasty or the start of one, and we, we won't get into that right now, but it's pretty clear that this is an incredibly special unit that's done something that is very, very rare. Um, and Mike O'Shea has been, well, Mike O'Shea, Kyle Walters have been the architects of this, and Mike O'Shea is the unquestioned leader about this. But 100%. I'm interested in your in your perspective now on what this championship does for Mike O'Shea, who's already the second winningest coach in Blue Bomber history, uh, and, and what it does for his position in 
um, the annals of the greats to be on the sideline of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and still a very young man, Jeff. I mean, I know there's thoughts that some other teams might kind of come for Mike and maybe try and do it a dual role right now. But as long as he, from where I'm standing right now, after this win, he was already on the trajectory to be one of the all-time greats. You get a win like that yesterday, and the way that he's beloved by his team, I mean, you saw the players chanting, O'Shea, O'Shea. It was like the same thing was happening at Portage, Maine, was happening in the Bomber locker room. Um, but I mean, what what does this do for Mike O'Shea? Big picture, when you think about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as a franchise and and guys that have been, you know, the most impactful coaches and leaders in this league. I think Mike O'Shea be, um, has become, what would you call it, the standard, the new standard. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just interesting, right? I mean, there were times where, obviously, through those first two seasons of his tenure, 12 and 24, people were calling for his head. Um, you know, I don't remember calling for his head personally, but I'd certainly took my shots and I, you know, I, I told it what it was and, and, and how the bombers were playing and they were a mess and it was always, you know, continuity and let's wait and see what happens. And by 2016 and, you know, obviously it took building this team, right? I mean, I think Mike came in in 2014, hired at the end of 2013 um, with an idea. And I think he thought it was going to be a little bit quicker than, uh, than it went. Um, but he understood the need to build a culture and he understood the need to, put leaders in place to empower their teammates and empower those leaders to empower those teammates, because he, he's not only just a player that's been there and done that he's a, he's, he's a student of the game. I mean, this is a guy who, who practice what he preaches. He, he, he can encourage guys look in the CFL. There's an X amount of hours that you're supposed to be in. And there's teams out there that, follow that to a T and you know, that's fine. That's the, you know, that's their rights. They don't need to be working, you know, more and more and more. And that, and that's the same situation at the bombers as far as, you know, what the expectations are, but these guys want to be around them. They want to be in working early. They want to be in, you know, pouring over tape, finding new edges, trying, you know, and they want to do it for their teammates. And, and ultimately what Mike O'Shea has done is he's, he's put the people in place. He's empowered the leaders to empower their teammates and let it follow through. So as far as where Mike, you know, falls into legacy and all that stuff, which you'd never use um, that word legacy. Um, we're, it's a wait and see because he's on his way to becoming arguably one of the best coaches in the league. Um, especially if he can, you know, one more season and this team's a D right. A dynasty. Like if they can come back and, and do something special, I think three championships in a row credits you to becoming a dynasty. I think that's the definition. Um, so he's on the verge of that. Um but I also wonder what this means for his future. I think he really likes Winnipeg. I think he really likes this group. Um, I think he really likes his family being here. I mean, his kids have grown up. You know, they're they're moving on to university and stuff. So it's it's you know, I don't think he's necessarily rooted here like that. But you know, if you can't get what you want, like everyone's going to want what Mike O'Shea has in Winnipeg, right? They're not going to fully understand what that is or how to do it. They're going to try to do it, and they might even try to do it with Mike O'Shea. So I wonder what, where, where Mike's head's at as far as opportunity. We know he's got ties in Toronto. We know he's, you know, he, he's, you know, he's, he's going to be a sought-after guy. But here's the, here's why I think he doesn't go in, because if Mike knows anything, it's what he doesn't know, and. That what I mean by that is he puts people around him, coaches around them, allow them to do his job. He said during this, 
after his after he won coach of the year this year he said in, in the post interviews you guys you don't seem to understand like i sit there and i watch and i watch right he he's constantly learning it's why he doesn't have a second coaching job he's not an assistant you know he's not an oc and head coach he's not a d, d obviously he's not an oc he's not a dc and head coach he's not a special teams coordinator and a head coach he's a head coach and he he just sets the culture and allows for smart minds to do the work and he's there and so i think he knows what that influences he knows how long it takes to 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 put that in he knows um he knows he needs the support of the upper you know people so having to having and i also know he doesn't like he doesn't love change there's a guy who will identify someone in a, in a scrum that he doesn't know and he'll and, and and he's thinking about it you know what i mean like he 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 just he's always thinking so that all that you know is a roundabout way of saying you know he's obviously evolving into an incredible coach an incredible leader uh, a guy who's more than capable of creating you know a winning culture in an organization and you know he's doing it the right way you know he's he's doing it the right way and he's 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 doing it for the right reasons and um you know wherever he ends up in in coaching rankings and and wherever you know um if he keeps doing what he's doing and, and, you know, keeps on having that same rapport and relationship with the players, I don't really know what the end is. So, well, and very, I'll, I'll say crazy. this, I'll say this to your point. Um, I agree with everything you said. I mean, he has just become um, a Winnipeg guy. I think he loves the organization. I think he loves his players. I think he loves the fan base. I think he loves everything about it. And, you know, listen, money changes a lot of things. And I guess I if there gonna, is, if there's, say. you know, if there's some organization that comes in, but I mean, what organization would be in a better position to pay Mike O'Shea what he's worth than the Winnipeg Blue Bombers right now? Well, that's what I was that like. And so I think that, <laughs> I, I think mean, that money is going to come from the, his backyard. Like, I don't think, you know what I mean? Like, the, uh, you know, the Edmonton reports, which I thought was very interesting timing, because um, I can tell you one thing for certain with actually not knowing this for certain is that Mike O'Shea did not entertain, talk to anyone about it. Absolutely not once would he have done that in great cup week. He probably would have been insulted oh. if somebody called him. Like I wouldn't even, I wouldn't want to be on the other end of that. It would have call. been a bad move for them. If they actually tried to talk to him, great cup week, he would have or told them to stick it and they would have been off absolutely. the list. Rub shoulders. I don't even think he would have rubbed shoulders with anybody. I mean, he didn't feel comfortable being at the awards. He hates the awards. Hate the whole thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it's just hilarious. It's like these things are used to kind of go, really you know like you you now like they're kind of funny and like you understand them better but yeah i mean he's going to be able to write his ticket and you know i'm not going to say i have no doubt that that ticket's going to be written here but i do know that you know wade miller no, knows exactly what the value is of mike o'shea and he will be doing everything if he's got to be shoveling you know the parking lots so that he saves actually you know 200 bucks a month uh you know he'll he'll put that toward he'll the figure it out do you think o'shea even would want to be the general manager I mean, I yes. just look at yes. him and, oh, you do. Okay. Because he, mm -hmm. I don't know why, why my thought was, I think he seems to have such great input with the players and they seem to have such a great working relationship. I mean, it seems like he's a guy that um, absolutely loves doing what he's doing, doing it very well and winning football games and winning championships here in Winnipeg. So here's the thing. And I don't want this to come across wrong because he's not a power hungry guy. You know what I mean? But he likes power. He likes influence. He likes to be the decision maker. So he doesn't, you know, he doesn't. So, you know, you asked me the question, would, would he be interested in being a GM? I definitely think so, like a GM head coach. But it would be a, it'd be a, an interesting role. Like, I don't think he'd be relied on strictly to, um, you know, necessarily. Like, he'd have guys helping. He'd put people around him who, who would, you know, lead to players' uh, signings, right? Because the GM is, is building the team. Mike is the draw. You know what I mean? And, and Mike has that kind of here, right? Kyle Walters obviously does his work. He's great as a GM. But 
Mike has the Mike's the face of the of the organization. Kyle Walters knows that Mike O'Shea is the face of the organization. So you know, I just think I, I I'm quick to say yes because. I just think he'd like the influence. He'd like the power. He'd like the power in making decisions. You know, he'd like to not have to go through red tape. He'd probably want to be the CEO in that matter, in, the, in that case, right? So he could, you know, kind of what, but, but again, I'm not, I'm not saying it's coming from a power hungry um, situation because when he is in leadership roles, he leads, but he leads with people. He doesn't, you know, lead for people. So um, it's yeah. never about Mike O'Shea when Mike O'Shea is doing anything. I mean, that is the thing. And that's why I think you've had a relatively selfless identity right <laughs> that's a bird right there it just blew up beside me it's interesting <laughs> yikes yeah for those of you listening on the podcast a little wildlife rolling through the toronto airport got some bomber fans around to. me too got some bomber fans around me too trying to do my show <laughs> beautiful say my hi to them for us hey still um still there. we're talking <laughs> we've talked about o'shea <laughs> Let's talk about Andrew Harris for a minute. I said this on the show, and I've said this for the last couple of years as we've seen what's kind of happened with this club since he got here. But I really do believe, Jeff, that Andrew Harris's signing here in Winnipeg is the most impactful free agent signing in the history of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Um, he's done it again. Another championship. He's 34 years old. There was a plenty of time that he was out of the lineup this year. What do you make of Harris's situation? Does he play again? And um, and if not, if this is the swan song for Andrew Harris, I'll ask the same sort of thing about Mike O'Shea, uh, about Harris. But, I mean, his place in Blue Bomber history as the hometown guy that came back was a huge catalyst in getting the team back to respectability and then doing this incredible back-to-back championship run. Yeah, so, I mean, Andrew Harris is... Well, I, I you know, I did talk to him about it this week. You know, I, I didn't want to, you know... I brought it up gently because you don't really want to ask a guy like, you know, before this is over, but you know, he has said in the past, he's at a year to year basis. You know, we know he's getting up in age. We know he plays a very, you know, he plays a very physical position and he plays it very physically. So, you know, there's the wear and tear. Um, there's obviously, if you look at his, at his 20, you know, 21 season, uh, you know, injured almost immediately at training camp, missed three games, came back for, for, you know, five or six or seven games, then was out for the rest of the season and, and was a truly, like, this isn't one of those, like, I'm telling you right now, this was a true game time decision. This wasn't a, okay, I was under the impression that they were just going to hold him out to the playoffs because that was their best bet and there was no point in bringing him down the stretch. That was true in some cases, but in, in more so, it was it was the fact that he, you know, it was really hurt and um you know people will watch that western final and go out yeah right you know bull crap right so but no he was and so i don't know you know when i talked with him you know i'd asked him if he if, if he has made up his decision not even expecting him to say you know yes i have and this is it but you know just knowing if he has in his mind and and so he obviously or sorry he obviously said no um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of factors at play. And, and in fact, um, obviously, Sunday was a factor. He said the result may make my choice easier, may make whatever. Right. So you can kind of read between the lines on that. I don't think he was talking about a, uh, you know, losing the championship and not coming back and winning the job. But who knows? Um, but he, what I thought was really interesting, because the, the thing that I felt with him this season was, do you have to play? that many games like do you have to play you know 18 games like could you not like ease up uh support the other you know two very good running backs and in, in Brady Oliveira and, and Johnny Augustine and, and you know maybe take a bit of a pay cut but but don't don't have the wear and tear and then just come in and win cups and and um he kind of was like oh 
that's interesting. But he, in fact, what he thought about it was the fact that he had the season that he had, that he didn't play, you know, close to the, the to all 14 games, what is his motivation to return mm-hmm. as much as he, you know, would love to, to, you know, like he says, everybody would love to, you know, ride into the sunset on top. I think for him personally, he doesn't like the fact that his last season was so injury plagued, even if it ends with a championship. So it's a wait and see approach. At the end of the day, what happens is, you know, you have to make an evaluation. There's tons of factors, whether it's family, whether it's, you know, money, you know, other and by money, I don't mean do you need the money and in, 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 in sign another contract or do you have an opportunity to to move and, and, you know, work somewhere else? Obviously, Andrew has a lot of connections, um, you know, a lot of, you know, he's works in the off season. Uh, so, you know, he, he has, you know, that kind of, that kind of opportunities, but I think it's going to come down to whether or not he wants to put in the work. I mean, that's, hmm. that's what it always is. And, and wanting to put in the work is simply, do you still enjoy the game? Do you still, you know, of course he's going to still enjoy his teammates. You know, I, I saw some photos. There were some very emotional photos of, of him, you know, talking to guys in the, in the room afterwards. And, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's, I don't think he's going to make his decision. He's going to get asked about it, obviously, right? He's going to get asked about it <laughs> at, on, during Wednesday's avail, which is not, um, it's not, there's no, there's no parade, by the way. I don't know if you guys have, have talked about that, but yeah, no, we should get into that. When that's no parade, uh, yes. another, but I'll wrap up. COVID. I'll, yeah. Yeah. Cause of COVID, but I'll wrap up. So with Andrew, I, I think he's going to, he's going to wait. And I, you know, I think that eventually he's, going to get to a point where you have to go to the gym <laughs> and if you feel like going to the gym and you feel like you know like if you're watching those highlights he could be watching the great cup highlights you know and, and be like i'm playing you know what i mean so i really at this point um you know i just spend a lot of time talking to you about it but i have no idea so that's uh that's essentially where we're at right now and and so i do think that that victory on sunday may, will make it easier for him to make that decision if indeed that's his decision but um it's certainly a wait and see approach right now well i'll tell you what um and you will know, we'll get to the you know the parade or lack thereof and the celebration for this team but um 2019 winning it i mean such a special special period for all of us then going into the pandemic losing a season coming back having them do it again um, and I think of Harris at the top of this list and Nick Dembski's right behind him as, you know, two Winnipeg kids that oh, turned right. I didn't into even address that part. It stars here in in the city, now champions, back to back champions. But it's easy to focus on those Winnipeg guys. But I mean, Jeff, I think we look back in 15 years at this team and we're talking about both of those individuals. Adam Big Hill, Willie Jefferson. Zach Caleros. I mean, Brandon, all these Brandon guys. Alexander. Brandon Alexander, absolutely. As Stanley um, Bryan, Patrick Newfeld. Well, I dude, the guys on the O line. I mean, almost the uh, are in a well, category. I'm talking about guys that become come honorary Winnipeggers. I, totally. Like, I, I had this feeling, and I mean, this could be just garbage. I don't know, but I have this feeling that there's going to be guys moving here. You know, like I think this is going to be could potentially be a full year-round thing for Bob. they'll be like, made men that's what that's what i'm saying like i think there's going to be people who are going to establish roots in the community you know they're going to be working out with their with their um you know with their teammates here moving their families here i can comp- i can totally see it now again it could be just garbage because football you know careers aren't that long but there is a feeling that these guys are going to stick around for a while you know <laughs> august 9th 2013 the bombers fired joe mack I mean, to think that we're sitting here in 2021 right now talking about back-to-back championships. You know what? Here we are. You know what? Hey, I mean, listen, Wade Miller deserves a ton of credit. Kyle Walter's done an amazing job. Mike O'Shea goes without saying, and so many of these players that bought in. Um, 
And I guess, you know, we can kind of finish this because it goes well to what we know about this celebration. I've said this a number of times, and I maybe have a bit of a different perspective because of the amount of time I spend in the stands as opposed to the press box. But in my entire life of being a Winnipeg sports fan, I've never come even close to seeing this special relationship between the players on this team, the organization, and the fans of this team. I mean, there's been other teams and certainly Jets teams playoffs that have been idolized, but it hasn't seemed to have been as much of a two-way street of appreciation and love going both ways. And all the things that, you know, you just mentioned, I think a lot play into what we've got right now with this club and why, um, you know, the future seems so bright, both for the actual football on the field product, but also for this team in the community from a business standpoint, because um, you just can't manufacture it. But what they've done is created something, um, you know, that, you know, Honestly, it's special is the word I keep coming back to, but um, it's impossible to replicate, not naturally, but it's happened, Jeff. And uh, man, they've got another big party coming up on Wednesday. And uh, I imagine most of those individuals that are going to be fed it up on the stage will hope that they can be back doing something similar, maybe with the parade coming out of COVID a year from now. Yeah, well, you know what? I was talking with my my brother and my sister in, a, in our uh, siblings group chat um, they were, we were just talking about the game and just, you know, like how crazy it was and, you, you know, they couldn't believe it and um, whatnot. And my comment was to them, I said, you know what I think is the best part about it is that you can look at a team of guys who, you know, we mentioned the list you just said, right? I mean, all the big hills and Willie Jefferson and Zach Claris and, you know, so on and so forth, Brandon Alexander, all these leaders on this team, we, you know, Andrew Harris, obviously, Nick Dembski, those are Winnipeggers, but um I said to them, I think there's an ex- something extra special that you can respect these guys. You know what I mean? There's a lot of, and, and you can't do that across the CFL. You know, there's teams that are assembled um, to build talented football teams. This team was assembled to build a talented football team that you could be proud of in the community. And there's a bunch of ambassadors. I mean, all those names, like they, they do a service, I would suggest, um, for this for this city, for this province. Um, and, you know, they really do hold themselves to a high standard. They're, they're just, you know, and if you want to go on the topic and revisit the topic of how, you know, these guys care about, uh, about each other and, you know, how genuine that, that is, it's true. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, it's almost, it's almost sick, you know, like you just don't get it. Like, you know, and I don't mean sick as in like sick, sick. I just mean, it's almost like, really? Like, you, like is there nothing here that's going to, you know, that could, be dramatic or anything and it's not they just they genuinely care about each other they go to war with each other um you know and that's again the culture that mike o'shea has instilled here we'll keep birds back um that mike o'shea has instilled here and and whenever someone says you know this is the mike o'shea effect or this is you know um you know what how do you describe it well they always say one thing we look to the left look to the look to the left look to the right and those are our you know that's who you're playing for and, and when you have an you, you have a team where you can say that and truly believe it, there's a reason why you end up being back-to-back champions and start talking about a third and potentially, you know, what this team could be. No doubt about it. I'm Jeff Hamilton with the Winnipeg Free Press getting ready to board a plane shortly and head back to Winnipeg. Um, so what do we know about Wednesday night? Um, do we have a time at all? And uh, do we have any details on exactly what's going to take the place of the parade? Because I can tell you, you got a lot of fired-up fans that want to get together one more time and celebrate their Grey Cup champs. So yeah, unfortunate um, circumstance with COVID nineteen. There's no airport 
uh, arrival today. So, you know, don't go to the airport. They're not going to be going through the regular um, exits. Uh, they're, they're getting off at a charter thing and taking a charter area and then they're taking a bus. That's COVID related. Um, and again, COVID related for no, you know, I don't really understand that, to be honest with you. Um, you know, no parade outside. Like, I, just, I don't I don't know, like, you know, so um, but that's apparently the case. And it's going to be replaced with a um you know, a party, a get together. I don't know the details, but it's going to take place at IG Field Wednesday night. I did see Jim Toth had it on Twitter that um, CJOB would, would would have the details in an hour. So if you're that curious, maybe you can just re- constantly refresh his feed for the next 45 minutes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's I, I don't know what even I, I'm I'm kind of curious because like, are they going to be on the field? Is it going to be like yeah? There's lots of things that that still need to come out. I don't want to speculate anything, but there's there's certainly. Um, you know, they're certainly interested in sharing this with the fans. I mean, unprovoked, every guy lost, you know, every guy, whether it was interviews with me or radio or TV, was constantly ref- referencing the fans. Willie Jefferson and his trademark, you know, come down to Winnipeg. We're heading back there for, you know, to celebrate. And, I, and these guys really do want to celebrate fan- with the fans. So um, all I can tell you from my spot at Pearson International Airport is it's Wednesday. And that's it. Evening, not during the day. Wednesday evening, we'll have more information as it becomes available. And I joked last week coming out of that Bananas West final that we'll always never forget because of the cold. And you know, we were doing our plug for Canadian Club, which of course is the official whiskey of the Bombers and was poured there. And I said, well, I guess that's the last time that um, that they'll be pouring any CC in the stadium this year. But maybe not, Jeff. Hey, another reason to get the fans down there and make a few bucks for the club and turn the taps on. Well, I wasn't going to go there. Wade but knows yeah, what's yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't going to go there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, awesome. Love it, love it. Okay, listen, you travel safe. I'll look forward to catching up when you get back. A great work all week to you, the rest of the Free Press team, all the media there. It was uh, a special, special win, and uh, man, it'll be content that people will be eating up for a long time coming out of it. Yeah, thanks as always for having me on, Huss. And I really do appreciate you bringing me on before March so that uh, that I don't have to follow that in, in the X's and O's in, in, in football. We could just kind of have some jokes instead and have a good time or whatever. But, um, yeah, thanks for having me on. And shout out to the uh, comment section. They're the best. You know, I hope you guys are enjoying this. And uh, see you again. You got it. We'll catch you back in the peg. Thanks so much. There's Jeff Hamilton of the Winnipeg Pre-Press. A great column today on the big win last night in Hamilton. Check it out at winnipegfreepress.com. All right. Yes, TSN Marsh himself is coming up. Big weekend for our friend Marsh. Great work on Grey Cup Saturday. Of course, very busy tomorrow. Uh, Before we do that, power up for the winter with our friends over at Manitoba Battery. I had a, actually it was DQ Nick that called me on the weekend. It was asking me for uh, the guy's number over at Manitoba Battery. He was doing some boosting. He said, man, you need a battery. Get the best price in town. Get over to Manitoba Battery. Donnie and the guys will hook you up. $89.50 with Core Exchange. Save money. You don't go to Costco. Waste your time in that lineup, the parking lot. Uh, and heck, Manitoba Battery will even deliver it to you. $104.95 with Core Exchange. Um, so check them out. Get ready for the deep freeze that certainly will be coming. And if you uh, use the snowmobile, you want to make sure that your battery is good to go for that. It all makes and models. They've got you hooked up, usually between $65 and $75. Manitoba Battery, Donnie, the Godfather, the Maestro, they're all ready for you. You can give them a call at 204-783-8787. See them in person at 1026 Logan Avenue or check them out online at manitobabattery.com. I'll tell you what, Royal Sports is going to be busy. I I think they've already got the shirts and T-shirts, the hats and T-shirts for the championship. 
up on their site at Royal Sports Pemina. Pay close attention because when those are coming in, they will be flying out very quickly, especially just in time for Christmas. Of course, whether it's bomber gear, jet gear, your favorite licensed merchandise from uh, any of the major leagues, not to mention hockey equipment, snowboarding, so much more, not to mention all the cool stuff on the King's Skate, Snow and Surf side. Royal Sports is the sports superstore in town. Take care of all your holiday shopping in one spot. And there, as you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, all of the mock-ups of the Bomber Grey Cup Championship shirts that is coming soon to Royal Sports at 750 Pemina Highway. And Matt, I was jealous. My guy Trevor Knott, he and the gang having a few at Chulis Joe's in Hamilton last night celebrating a Grey Cup win. Um, not Auto Corp, but under the great sponsor of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Took a bunch of crew down there for uh, the Bombers' big win. Uh, but if you're thinking about getting into a vehicle, you see Milt Stiegel doing the uh, lap through the incredible showroom down at P uh, Waverly and McGilvery. Why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Knot team, Waverly and McGilvery, online at Knot.ca. The choice of Milt Stiegel, myself, and so many others that have uh, made the choice to get into their new whip with their friends over at Not Autocorp. All right, more on the Grey Cup. We will talk a little bit of Jets before the end of the program. Jets hosting the Buffalo Sabres tomorrow. Uh, but today, it's all about the incredible show last night in Hamilton. We go to Hamilton right now and welcome in Marshall Ferguson of TSN to join us now. Marsh. Thanks for doing this. Uh, and first off, congratulations. You had an amazing week. Loved what you were able to do on Saturday. Uh, must have been pretty fun being there, where you're living, having the entire CFL come to town. I know the locals probably heartbroken today at the way the game ended. But uh, for all accounts, considering COVID and everything that they were dealing with, this was uh, this was an amazing week for the CFL and for Hamilton, end of the game notwithstanding. And of course, for you personally. Yeah, for sure. I, I appreciate you having me on. I think, um, you know, the thing that jumped out to me was when I woke up on Grey Cup Sunday, I thought back to interviewing Randy Ambrosi in May, where I said to him, what what constitutes a successful 2021 CFL football season to you? And he said, if I'm standing on a podium in Hamilton on December 12th, handing a worthy team the Grey Cup, it's been a great year. Like the, the goal in all honesty was to get to the finish line, but do it in the most entertaining way possible where we could tell great stories. And the CFL accomplished that. Like I, I was actually just looking at some of the ratings coming in right now on the great cup for viewership. And, uh, you know, looking at some of the numbers, it's like, well, there's you know, a little dip here, a little bump there and different markets and up and down and all the rest. But it's like in the grand scheme, the landscape of what we were trying to accomplish this year coming out of a COVID canceled season where you remember this, I was like, everybody said, if you go away, you'll never come back. Or if you go away, the interest will never come back. And the television ratings, I think, were really strong throughout the entirety of the regular season. I mean, God, there was even Saskatchewan-Edmonton games where the game meant nothing in the end of the regular season and Taylor Cornelius is playing. And it's like, hey, look, it's the top-rated game of the year. And you're like, why? Uh, so I think a lot of people would just, they wanted their fix. And, uh, and the product was was up and down, I think, at times, but that will sort itself out as we keep going forward and finding solutions. And uh, so, yeah, successful year, I think, for the league itself. For me personally, it was a joy to do play-by-play. -play. It's what I love. It, it makes game day feel like game day again for me, which uh, I can't get enough of. And then it's funny, hosting it in Hamilton, where I live, uh, the, the funniest thing was people just thinking that because you geographically live in the city in which the team is playing and the game is being played, that you are then cheering for that team. 
which I thought was a funny one because I'm like, I don't give a damn who wins this thing. Like, I, I don't care if it's the Atlantic Schooners that win the Grey Cup every single year for my my information. As long as we're telling great stories and having fun doing it, then I'm like, I'm good. But when I saw, you know, the the festivities start to crank up and we threw a tailgate party yesterday afternoon, um, the highlight for me, and I think this really speaks to what the Grey Cup is, is having my son, who's 15 months old, come out to his first Grey Cup tailgate, his first Grey Cup Sunday. And uh, we were out at Merritt Brewing in downtown Hamilton and just holding him and hanging out with him and all these fans and all these different colored uniforms all coming over to give him a high five because they've heard me mention Noah's name on the podcast network or what okay. before. It was, it was just it was this really personal moment for me that I'll remember forever and, and photos that I'm I'm very, very thankful that I have. Marsh, um, you know, that being said, you had no skin in the game and, you know, you weren't a tie cat guy just because you're living there. But you're around and probably close friends with a lot of people that um, probably had a tough time getting up this morning, just wondering how, just thinking about how close they were. And I talked about it before. I mean, the atmosphere in that stadium was, I mean, we we all thought that, oh, okay, it'll be more Hamilton Tiger Cats fans than Bombers and others. Right. But I don't think anyone could have imagined just how black the blackout was. And I got to tell you, I had chills. They've cranked up that welcome to the jungle and the Ticats came out at the beginning <laughs> of the game. And I'm like, it is on and the Bombers better be ready. Um, but I mean, just the scene of, of everything, it seemed like this was the moment. Um, and again, it was so close. I mean, we'll get to some of the intricities of the game, but what was it like after the game? Uh, and and how are the people handling it right now? Because that was a really good football team and a loss on the biggest stage at home in one of the most heartbreaking ways I can remember in Grey Cup history. Yeah, the one moment that I thought was really telling in this game, I'll get to that in a second. First, I just want to mention the idea of how much the blackout actually mattered. Uh, when when I heard about the blackout, I was talking to somebody at practice on Thursday, and I said, that's a stupid idea. And they're like, why? I'm like, have you ever been to a Grey Cup? Like, it's it's bomber blue, it's riders green, it's stampeders red, it's like you've got every color from across the entire league, and that's part of the fun is that you go to this, and the idea of the Grey Cup Festival, it extends into the game itself. It feels like a festival, like it feels like a bit of a carnival where you're in there and everybody's dressed up and having fun and having beers and all the rest, so... And then Zach Claros said in his post-game press conference, he thought it was going to be 75-25 in, in favor of Ticats fans. And he came out of the tunnel and he said he looked at, I forget who it was, looked at Willie or looked at Jackson and said, oh, it's like 95-5. to and, and I had the exact same moment where I walked into the stadium, even driving over to the stadium about 90 minutes before kick and walking in, you know, by myself, I got my hood up, I got my mask on, like nobody knew. And I'm kind of observing like how people are going in and and what it looks like and what the sounds and the, and the the sights are of the pregame festivities and I'm like I don't I don't see anybody other than Tiger Cats fans and it, it weirded me out because I'm like where is everybody else like uh, but it was I think in terms of the the impact that it had in the game and, and the moment that really jumped out to me of the tentative nature of that crowd even though they did come out in masses and they did have their energy felt was when Michael Domagala hits the field goal to make it 25 all. At the end of regulation, the Ticats had some kicking issues throughout the year, not unlike Winnipeg, of course, before Sergio Castillo came in. And boy, did he ever pay off in the Great Cup. But when I saw Michael Domagal going out for that field goal, I'm having flashbacks to uh, week six when the Ticats played in Toronto and Domagal hits an upright and on an extra point, And that would have probably uh, sealed the win for them. Maybe it would have gotten them the East Division Championship and the bye and all the rest. And he couldn't get the job done. I'm like, 
he better hit this. And if he does, I, I wanted to see what the fan reaction was going to be throughout the stadium. And I was expecting there to be this just explosive emotion. And instead, it was just like, okay, we avoided death. Like, it wasn't a celebration. <laughs> it was like everybody was so, at the end of that game, they were so tense, which was a little bit foreign to me being around Tim Hortons Field for Tiger Cats games, whether it be sideline reporting, doing play-by-play for the team for five years on local radio or otherwise. It was, um, it felt like everybody was a little bit just like holding, <laughs> holding their, their cards close to their vest, like for the entire fourth quarter going like, I hope I don't pass out because this is a culmination of 13, 14, 19. Here we are in 21 after COVID canceled. And like just the, the, the growing of the getting announcement that Hamilton was going to host the Grey Cup into, well, what's the team going to look like? Into the struggles of the year, into, oh, we actually made the game, into the fourth quarter. Like all of that built into those moments in overtime and the crowd, it felt like was just terrified. And sure enough, when the interception happens to end it, you get some of those crowd shots that were tremendous from TSN and it's just people stunned. And I think that's the sense that I got. I was down in the Hamilton Convention Center today and like the banners are pulled down, the the Grey Cup tailgates and all the rest are done. Eastern Social Hall is torn apart. Tables and chairs are put. It's like it's over and it's gone. It's like it, it's like it didn't happen. And it's just the cleanup crew has come in and wiped everything out. And it really makes you wonder, 2023, what's the Grey Cup going to look like in Hamilton? Because it is coming back pretty quickly here. And if Hamilton's not in the game, it's going to feel completely different from what we just went through for the last week. Yeah, well, I mean, first and foremost, hopefully we actually will have that representation from the rest of the Canadian Football League that yeah. wasn't there. And I think the biggest reason for that is the pandemic more than anything. I mean, there's a lot of people even here that normally had done. They didn't know exactly what the story was. They didn't have the increased capacity that you normally have. And right. It really did turn into some sort of a home game. But I will tell you this. And I mean, we've been hearing it since we started this program today. I mean, that 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 sense of impending doom that you talked about with Ticat fans at the end of the game, that was us. That yeah. was us for 20 years heading into 2019. And, you know, we've talked a lot about it. And maybe it was because the Bombers were so good at doing all the things that makes a championship team this year that there was still, with the wind in the fourth quarter, you knew that they had a chance. And I mean, I think they'd earned that confidence from fans over, but still there was a lot of people that thought that they were screwed, but um, you know, it's hard to get away from your past when you get into these moments and it takes something special to get over the top. That's what happened with Winnipeg in 2019. I think in a lot of ways, it really did help them uh, yesterday. Darb yours. Shut up. Thanks a lot for the uh, super chat, my friend way to go. Blues loving it. Um, Marsh, let's talk about the fourth quarter in particular. Um, mm-hmm. You know, from a, from a football and X's and O's standpoint, where did it go wrong for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, in your opinion? Or what was it that the Blue Bombers did when they had to do it that ended up being the difference in them even getting to overtime and coming back? They were down 12 points in the fourth quarter, and that's not easy to do. Yeah, for sure. In terms of the actual schemes that I, that they ran, that they had success with, I still haven't had a chance to go back through it, unfortunately, just because it, it's been a crazy 20 hours, whatever. But um, but it, I think the biggest thing that jumped out to me going through the postgame statistics and John Proberg, the tremendous TSN, CFL and TSN stats man, sent this out. He said the first three quarters, Zach was, you know, 60 percent completion rate and those two interceptions to Cam Kelly and uh, didn't have any touchdowns in the fourth quarter. He was nine of 13 had the majority of his passing yardage in the final quarter, had two touchdowns and no interceptions, right? And for me, just from kind of a a theory perspective, I would say if you are going to announce somebody as the most outstanding player, and we talked a lot about this this year, if you're going to announce somebody as the most outstanding player, 
you don't just want it to be the quarterback on the team that wins the most games. Because if that's the case, we wouldn't call it the most outstanding player. We'd call it the award for the quarterback on the team that wins the most games. <laughs> and so I wondered all year, well, could Adam Bakehill possibly be Winnipeg's actual MOP? Like, has Zach done enough to be able to get these these votes and to actually really cement his place? Because if, if you're the MOP, you better, you better be something special because this is a league full of very special football players. And you see how he responded to adversity in the fourth quarter trailing in a stadium where man like him and kent austin went at each other for essentially two years in hamilton at the end of his time there to the point where in 2017 they're 0 and 8 and i very vividly remember and i actually i talked to zach about this for a second last night during the celebration when i finished doing an interview with him i just tapped him on the chest i said man i remember there being a third and short down on the goal line in the uh south end zone at tim hortons field where kent pulled you off the field and you just shook your head, like openly disgusted with him. You walked past him. He didn't say anything to you. You didn't say anything to him. And it was like, you come back from the torn ACL and there's people trying to take your job. And there's rumors of Manziel on the negotiation list. And it's just all this junk that was swirling around Zach at the end of his time in Hamilton. And then they go 0-8 and, and they're like, listen, man, see ya. Have fun in Saskatchewan. And they hand over the keys to Jeremiah. And obviously he runs with it and goes into 2018 and all the rest and, and has a great season. But... I think back to that 2017 year where he ended it that way and for him to face the adversity of the game, but to do it in the building that Huss, he opened Tim Hortons field. Like he was the the face on the marquee at Tim Hortons field. He was on all the banners. He threw the first touchdown to Bakari Grant at Tim Hortons field back in 2014. So the idea of him being in that building and having to prove to everybody, not just in attendance, but around the country, around the world, people that love him from his NCAA days at Cincinnati. Otherwise, I am the most outstanding player in the Canadian Football League and doing it and proving it and showing it like that. That to me was just the coolest, I think, moment of the whole night, because I think sometimes we like to wax poetic about quarterbacks. And I certainly do because I'm enamored with the position. But to see him do it in that spot. And I mean, I was I got to admit, there were times in the fourth quarter where Zach was throwing the ball and I wasn't even watching where the ball was going. I, I just I had a feeling that he was in a really comfortable place it was kind of like a microcosm of the whole season that i've talked to you about how he fits that winnipeg offense so well i I just decided i'm gonna watch him and there's a couple of throws that he made where he's leaning back on his left foot gets obliterated by jagarrod davis and like crawls to his feet looks like he's in pain jogs down gets into the huddle ready to go for the next one it's like (laughs) he's got that that mentality that the great pro quarterbacks i think have to have and uh and so he had to have it marsh he had to have it yesterday i mean i I really thought that the bombers came out of halftime um you know ready for the challenge that was playing against the wind and um you know they moved the football a little bit they did some good things they uh, had that one drive that i believe resulted in three points and you know they're in a good spot and then all of a sudden Zach throws two picks. And I mean, those picks were a huge, huge moments in the game that I think really gave Hamilton the steam that gave them that lead going forward. But maybe the most impressive of everything you just said about what he did in the fourth quarter was the fact that he had two interceptions, which he certainly would like back, that put his team under the gun and in a significant hole. And he was able to lead his team out of it. Yeah, I'm... I'm perpetually jealous of quarterbacks who have the mental fortitude to throw bad interceptions and then bounce back and shrug them off because I couldn't do it. And like, I, I'm enamored with that, that mentality of, Oh, I just put the ball in the worst place possible. The entire stadium is laughing at me. 
who cares? He'll just come back and throw a touchdown on the next drive. It's like to do that is, I think, one of the great sports psychology kind of situations that exist in all of sports. And and again, another one on the other sideline that was super interesting is Jeremiah Masoli gets pulled from the Eastern final. Injury happens to Dane Evans. He has to go in and he starts slinging it around and making some pretty good plays. And I thought that that was amazing too because, I mean, Jeremiah, I saw him when we were doing our Great Cup Saturday show at the Ticats walkthrough. He had his, and again, I don't want to read too much into body language, whatever, but it was a beautiful, nice day in Hamilton on Saturday. And Jeremiah had his hood up. He had the strings on the hood. He pulled as tight as he could. So he had like this like portal where old only see out of here, like their <laughs> goggles. Um, you know, he had a balaclava on. Like he just, he, it was very obvious to me because I know Jeremiah and I, I understand some of the, the subtleties of Masoli and his disdain at times for having to do media. It was very obvious he didn't want to be on camera because to him, it's like, you guys didn't want me at media day. Like I'm not starting the game this week. My coaches don't want me to start the game. I've been replaced. So it looked to me like he was withdrawn, at least from the outside. But then you hear from Dane Evans throughout the week where he said, Jeremiah and I had a heart to heart on Monday, Tuesday, essentially, when I got named the starter, where he said, I'm fully behind you. Like uh, we said it was going to take all of us. We don't get to decide who's going to end up playing in this game but it was going to take all of us. And here we are. And you're the one who gets the shot. Well, little did they know it's not going to be Dane. Who's going to get the shot to try and win the game. It's going to be Jeremiah. And like his legacy in Hamilton could have taken such an incredible turn. If Jalen Ackland catches that ball and doesn't let it into his chest on a five yard out with six seconds left in the ball game. Like, honestly, it's, I know that it's the old cliche. It's a game of inches, but the narrative on an entire career could be changed by the smallest of differences between incompletion and completion. So um, yeah, that seeing Zach pull that off. And the other thing is like just the, the amazing full circle nature of the guy that replaced Zach Calaros for June Jones was Jeremiah Masoli. And I know that everybody knows that storyline, but I don't think people appreciate how much that bothered Zach in the moment for him to say that, that guy who's been behind me for like multiple years. Like he's been staring over my, sh- really? Okay, good luck, I guess. Sure. And then he ends up having to play in a great cup against him. And Zach is not, uh, I would say, a sour person. I don't think that he holds grudges that he doesn't need to, but he remembers things. And I feel like last night he remembered everything. And I feel like that played a lot into his performance in the fourth. Well, and, and you know, just on Caleros for a minute, because I know you tweeted this out, I think, at freezing, uh, freezing cold takes. Oh, yeah. I mean, there is a ton of people, and I'm sure I was guilty of it as well, going, listen, this guy's been a great player. He's been the MOP, but what the heck is he doing, yeah. you know, continuing his football career after some of the, uh, the, you know, the hits that he took? And, Marsh, I will never forget it. We were on the air back on the old station. I was live on the air. It was 3.02. The trade deadline came in 2019, and we get a release that the Bombers have acquired Zach Caleros. And we remembered said, oh, and there's a conditional first round pick if they win the great cup. And we sort of chuckled. Well, you know what? Wouldn't wouldn't that be something? That'd be a great pick to to, to give away or if he resigned. And um, and yet here he is, a back-to-back champion with the with the club. I mean, it just goes to show there is a lot of risk involved, but I mean, these guys love what they do. They realize that you know some of the the hazards that come with the occupation. But I mean, it really is truly unbelievable in some ways when you think about where he was in his career, some of the hits, the things that had taken him out of the play that he basically ends up coming in as an as an insurance policy and is now undoubtedly 
a Winnipeg Blue Bomber legend is a back-to-back Great Cup champion. Yeah, it's so cool. Like, I, I don't know how else to put it and say that it's just so cool. I, I love it. And at the same time, I will never claim to be a neuroscientist. But I do know that when when Zach took snaps in 2019, it scared the hell out of me. Because as a quarterback who's had a couple of concussions in the past, man, they linger with you. And I had ones that weren't even that bad. But they just, you're off. You feel terrible. You just, it, it made me scared for my own future at various points. And I'm not, like I say, an expert in how the brain recovers. But when he took those snaps in 2019, I was just cringing because I'm like, I really hope that this guy is doing the right thing for himself and his family because I knew he was getting married or married at the time and had a, a child coming on the way not too far down the road and all the rest. I'm like, man, they need you as a dad. Like, they need you as a father. They, Your friends need you. Your parents need you. They don't need some you know shriveled up vegetable brain who just went out there because he wanted to play ball. So I, I thought that the whole time. But then you come to realize like, Zach's never been that guy where it's like football is the only thing that matters. Sir might have taken a different priority for him at various points in his life, but to see him involving his young family now so closely to his success, I think is pretty inspiring as a, as a young dad myself. And uh, I, I just, I love the nature of his, his ability to, to balance the aggression of football and what's needed in it with the the compassion and the human side because he's really thoughtful now too like he doesn't say a lot in the media it's kind of like mike o'shea where he's not going to say a whole lot to you but once in a while he'll just drop one sentence that makes you think about it for three hours you go huh yeah wow okay i hadn't really thought of it like that but the the idea of going to winnipeg and becoming a legend for him to go to that place and get paired up with mike o'shea who again like i say doesn't talk a lot that's very similar to zach to be paired up with Buck Pierce, obviously an offensive coordinator who had a similar path to him, banged up a whole lot, doubted a whole lot throughout his career. I love that. I, I just I think that it was the perfect situation, and I'm not even sure that they knew it. Because if they knew it, they would have pulled the trigger before the trade deadline. Like, let's be real. They would have been like, this Stravler guy isn't getting it done. We got a perfect answer over here. Let's go get him. But they waited it out. They made the right call, and Zach has rewarded them mightily with back-to-back rings. Uh, Marshall Ferguson of TSN joining us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily, recapping the Bombers' win in the 108th Grey Cup yesterday in Hamilton. Marsh, I mean, we focus on this team a lot. We've talked about what they accomplished in 2019 and how that was, you know, a, maybe a more special Grey Cup win maybe that they'd ever had before because of everything that came before it. Um, you're outside of the market, but you follow the league very closely. I mean, when you think of this O'Shea bomber club from 2019 until now and heading into 2022, um, you know, wh- wh- where does this group stand up amongst the, um, you know, the great units of, um, you know, recent CFL history in your mind? It's wild to say, but for me, it's equivalent to the Calvillo Alouettes. And, and the reason that I say that is not because of the longevity or the sustained success. It's Look, look at the championships, right? Like 2009, 2010, and then being able to see 1921. To me, it's those those two years, I think, are uh, equated to the greatness that the Alouettes had at that point. Now, the Alouettes were in the East Division, and I don't think it was as competitive at the time as the West has been at various points in the last two years, not consistently, because we all know Edmonton and BC have had certainly their struggles. But I think the top end of the Canadian Football League, if you were to parse those two teams against each other, it, it would be pretty close. So I have a lot of respect for it. And again, I'm, I am I think I learned a major lesson about analyzing sports. And some people might disagree with this because every situation is different. But the lesson that I learned was give people time. Like let, let people actually 
have the time to develop and figure things out. So the reason I bring this up is that when I was first covering the Tiger Cats on radio, we went out for a game at Edmonton and all the media were sitting around at one of the walkthroughs. And I don't know what the records were at that time because, you know, everything was a blur in my first year traveling around the country and doing play-by-play. But I remember I was having the conversation of not not if, but when Mike O'Shea was was going to get cleaned out in Winnipeg. Like very, very early days, it was like, <laughs> this guy can't do it. Like he's, he's a bad fit. Winnipeg, it's not going to work out here. It's fine. You know, he gave it his best, but he's going to have to move down the road or he's going to have to go back to being a coordinator position guy. Maybe special teams again, like that, that'd be maybe a better fit for him. Maybe that's what he's going to do for a long time. And then you actually give it time with Kyle Walters to develop and to figure it out and acquire personnel and build a core. And uh, I mean, Jesse Briggs is a great example of that, where it's basically like he's been there as a depth guy running around on special teams alongside Mike Miller for years. And all of a sudden this year, it's like, hey, Jesse, we actually need you to take a, a bigger role in the defense. And he's like, yeah, I'm ready. Like, is that not the perfect encapsulation of give people time, let them figure it out, let them get better? Because that's exactly what they did with that singular player. And that's what Winnipeg allowed O'Shea to do with this franchise, which I have so much respect for. So, you know, when I see somebody who's struggling now, like a K. Okafor at left tackle for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, I don't jump on him and I go, oh, he's trash. Get him out of here. I don't think he has any chance. I go, okay, let's think about how little development time he's actually had. He's had three different head coaches in his career already in Hamilton between Kent Austin and and June Jones and now uh, with Orlando Steinauer. And let's think about the system that he's been in. Let's think about the, the practice reps that he's really gotten against top-end talent like Willie Jefferson. And I, it's made me more patient because you see the results sometimes when you just give people time to figure it out. So uh, O'Shea and, and this, I'm not going to call him a dynasty because we aren't there yet, but the idea of, of them letting him go, where would Winnipeg football be today without Mike O'Shea and Kyle Walters at the helm of that thing with, with Wade Miller? I, I think it'd be in a much, much worse place. Oh, I, I don't think there's any doubt. I was just joking with Jeff Hamilton about, uh, you know, I just still had the thing up. Uh, August 9th, 2013, the team fired Joe Mack. Um, I mean, I remember we had a bus tour. We went to the Labor Day Classic. They lost 52 nothing to the, uh-huh. the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. We were chanting all we want's a rouge in the chant, and the rider fans on the way out weren't even giving it to us. They actually felt sorry. That was the <laughs> that was the low moment of it all. And uh, and you know to think through the ups and you know some downs early on in O'Shea's tenure, as you mentioned, they believed in him, they believed in the direction of this club. And I will say there was a make or break season to get to the playoffs, I guess, in what 2017. Um, but con- they've just continued to build from there. And it it has really been um you know, it, it's, it's been phenomenal. Let me ask you a quick uh, CFL yeah. question because coming out of Ambrosi's um, state of the, uh, of the league address, there's a lot of talk and I saw it a ton on social media about people saying that, you know, everything's going to be considered for the CFL going forward, including the potential of four downs. I have yet to see a single person that thinks that is a good deal, a good idea or even remotely possible. I mean, uh, just thoughts on now that, you know, the Grey Cup is in the rearview mirror. It's a very important offseason. And next year, I would say, is an incredibly important season for the CFL. How much of this is just sort of fun Grey Cup week talk? And um, how much of this do you think is really going to be seriously considered by the shot callers that can make changes? I can't believe I've already reached this point at 30 years young. Uh, but I abstain from this conversation on social social media because it's stupid. Yeah, I, I, I had no take either, but and, I figured and, and I'd I, ask you. I don't blame you for asking. I appreciate you asking me because it gives me the platform to have my say on it, which <laughs> is this. 
this is not a popular opinion and people that are in the United States would absolutely laugh at me, but they have no idea what they're talking about on this subject because they haven't truly understood and appreciated the values of three down football and what it makes you have in your game. Three down football is superior. Whoa, right? <laughs> like, like everybody's going, oh, shut up, man. You, you're a Canadian football guy. Obviously, you're going to say that. I watch the Bills. I go to NFL games all the time. I love watching college football on a Saturday. But the thing is, I've also studied the game at enough of a level to understand the pass run tendencies, what it requires you to do on second down. I love, and this is my favorite thing of playing quarterback and now watching and studying quarterbacks, is that when you get a run on first down that goes for two yards. In the NFL, well, you can still run it again on second down. Maybe you'll get six yards. Okay, now you got third and a couple. Well, just run it again. You can pick it up again. Everybody knows the basic math on this. Like more opportunities means that you can be less aggressive. Like that's just the nature of four down football. I, hell, I've been to Bills games when they were bad, where they were playing with Marshawn Lynch in the backfield or Fred Jackson or otherwise. And it was like, well, we're not going to beat this team. So we're just going to try to drub them to death with four yards per carry. It's like, I don't want to pay money to go watch that. I mean, I did, but I don't want to do it. I mean, it was just because it was like the thing to go do and have fun and tailgate and all the rest. But then you get inside the stadium and you're like, well, I sure would love if they'd take one of these kicks of the can away from this team and actually force them to try to throw the ball vertically down the field once in a while. So when I, I see the conversation that's being had, like I get it if everybody is defensive and freaks out and wants to make sure that their voice is heard. And that's great. Have your say. For me, every time this comes up, I just keep scrolling. Because I, I feel like if the CFL actually does a true hardcore investigation into the values and, and the proficiency of what three downs requires you as a player to do, to accomplish as a quarterback, you'll find that it's it's better. It's better. It forces you into spots where you are you have more pressure on you. I mean, hell, watch the second and 16, second and 18, whatever it was, where Jeremiah has to throw it down the field and it ends up getting intercepted last night. If that's four down football and Jeremiah Masoli's in that spot and it's second and 16, second and 18, he's probably throwing a crossing route, right? Like he's probably going to pick up like six, eight yards and then he's going to set himself up with a third and 10. It's more manageable. And that's, it's like our game is crazy and wacky and fun because it's like sink or swim, right? It's strikeout or home run. Like it's all of that. And it's because three downs forces you into those situations and you either get rewarded or you throw an interception that ends your season. And I think that's why I love this game and this style so much. Hey, listen, I, I think the fourth quarter, that entire game, but especially the fourth quarter in the elements playing for a championship um, provided just some incredible drama. And that is what the three down game is all about, why we love it and why I don't think anyone has the appetite to see it change. One more for you on the way out. Um, there was talk about Steinhauer potentially having an opportunity to go to the uh, University of Washington post Grey Cup. We'll see how that develops. Heard Brandon Banks say he's going to reevaluate his future. Um, you know, coming off just a devastating loss the way that is, how different do you think this Ticat team looks when uh, the next season gets going? That Steinauer report was just Farhan Lalji being a University of Washington Huskies guy. Come on. <laughs> Come on, everybody. I mean, follow Farhan. You know that he likes the Huskies. He follows them closely out there. No, I, I think that there's some validity to that. They'd be crazy not to to connect the dots for, for Dave or for Farhan to say, hey, this is probably a, a potential fit for him going forward i will say this that's orlando in the tunnel pregame uh it was hard to watch him and how emotional he was and not think oh maybe something is up and i don't want to again read too much into body language otherwise but it just kind of makes you wonder um and when you see him post game where he's just squatted down and he's staring at the other end of the field it's like 
that kind of looks like an image where we look back at it in 10 years and we say, man, that was his last game in the CFL. I mean, I don't know if it is or it isn't, but it, it makes you wonder how we will view those images in hindsight. But I think everything's on the table right now for the Tiger Cats. And I don't mean clean house. This is a trash team. They need to fix everything. What I mean is the last 18 months has required a lot of a lot of people to get us to the point where we're having a game in front of 20,000 plus fans yesterday. And Brandon Banks, I again, I know him pretty well from being around the team and covering him. He hates not being around his kids, like just despises it. And I think any of us that have children can relate to that. The idea of, hey, you're going to go spend several months somewhere else, not see your kids for an extended period of time. When you see them next, maybe they know new words or maybe they, you know, they're, they're faster or they run differently or they, they have different interests or they have a new favorite book. Or I think for me, Speedy loves the game of football and wants to be a great football player still. But I think that there's some other things that are pulling him. And I wouldn't be surprised if that happens with a lot of guys. And it's not necessarily going to be this mass exodus of retirements like we saw going into 2021. But I do think there will be a lot of players that are going to reevaluate and say, do I want to keep doing this or do I need to start thinking about the bigger picture for myself? And the thing about the CFL is if those players end up deciding, you know what, I'm going to lean away from football here, I might be done. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of players at free agency camps around North America that are ecstatic to take their place and give themselves an opportunity to go and chase a championship like we saw last night in front of that crazy crowd. So if anything does happen, uh, I think that the league will be in good shape because they do put in the work going out and finding those new fresh faces, as we saw in this game. I mean, there's tons of new players from DeAndre Alford to Dietrich Nichols on Winnipeg's side of the ball to Jalen Ackman was that guy a couple of years ago to uh, the Murray, the left tackle for the Ticats. I don't know where they found that beanstalk, but that's a massive human being that looks like he's going to be around for a while. So there's always people putting in the work to go out and find the replacements if indeed the human side does take over for some of these guys. Yeah, you mentioned Alford and Nichols. I mean, they brought 35 DBs into camp this year. Yeah. I mean, 35 individuals battling. They found two good ones, and they were a big part of this championship team. Hey, listen, I can't can't have you leave without one more. Uh, and this is about the game. Tons of conversation and scuttlebutt about Tim White giving up the single point. Uh, and two singles off kickoffs in that fourth quarter ended up becoming a huge part of the football game. Um, Mike O'Shea defended the decision, said that it made sense. You know, those yardage was very important. Um, what was your take on all that? And was that a mistake that ended up costing Hamilton the great cup or can we not go that far? Uh, I, I mean, I think hindsight 2020, you can say that confidently, but uh, two things on this for me. One is I don't think Mike Boucher believes a word that he's saying there. I think he's defending his friend Orlando Steinauer. And there's no shame in that. Like he's saying, listen, I, I don't want to say, oh my God, what a stupid coaching decision. That guy over on the other side, I no clue what he's doing. That's one of his good friends. Like, so I think, again, the human aspect of this plays into that answer because he, I was in the room when he answered that question in his postgame presser and O'Shea took a long pause and I could see the hamster wheel spinning on, do I crush my friend for his approach to the game or do I just take the sanitized answer here and say, hey, everything happens for a reason? And he took door number two. So that was how I felt about the answer. Uh, but I do have a fun little anecdote for you. I was standing in between the benches when that play happened and Kyle Walters was kind of you know pacing around next to me. And he said to me just before that kick, he's like, wouldn't be a bad time for a for a single here. And he's like, you know, with the wind at your back and all the rest. And I'm like, yeah, you could go get him. Like, he's he's got to touch it, though. Like, you can't just let it fly with the back of the end zone. Ball gets caught. Kyle Walters is standing next to me. Down goes Tim White onto his knee. And immediately I said, what the hell? I go, what the hell? 
Kyle Walters turns towards me and just says three or four times, interesting. That's an interesting choice. That's an interesting one. And it was like, he's, he's not saying, but he's saying when he says, hmm, you know what? Pretty interesting. You know, was he what? fist pumping? Was he no, fist pumping he, he, by any he was, chance? As he I will said, give when you he the, said interesting. The, the exact body language was arms crossed uh, with the mustache, pursed lips, leaning back, probably giggling to himself internally, but saying, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Yeah. And it, I mean, he was. He was wandering around pretty good last night in the fourth quarter in OT, obviously. But uh, <laughs> that one to me, that's one of those great moments that you only get when you're between the benches where you're interacting with some of the people that have put so much work like he has in to build out this roster that's gone back-to-back Grey Cups now. And, I mean, <laughs> to see that happen through his eyes standing next to him and to get his raw reaction, I thought was pretty telling on the fact that, you know what, that's that's not the best decision. I think it, and again, immediately we start having the conversation of, Oh, do you want the extra time? Or do you want to be able to have the ball up where it is and give up the point and all the rest? And for me, it's like, I don't know Would Michael Domagala have uh, rather had an 18 yard field goal instead of an eight yard field goal. Who gives a damn? It's like, it's not going to make a difference. And again, that's hindsight. And that's why O'Shea was saying, you know, we don't know how far down the field they're going to go, but to have that 10 yards and be able to give yourself a chance for the win man, it, I, I would hope that going forward, people would to, would take a note from that miscue and say, you know what? I'd rather run out of time and be three yards shy on a field goal attempt that gets blown back in the wind rather than not give myself a chance to go for the victory. Yeah, it uh, I, will just be another one of the amazing stories from the 108th Grey Cup that uh, we'll be talking about probably in different tones than folks in Hamilton will. But um, always remember an absolute CFL classic yesterday in the hammer between the Bombers and the Ticats. Marsh, congratulations on an amazing season. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, you be well, and I'll look forward to We'll have to talk some NFL or something sometime yeah, soon. I still, I... still need to get you back on the show. I love these chats. It's all good. I'll, I'll talk some forward. I got to catch up now, though. That's my thing. I've been so completely uh, just drowning in CFL for four straight months here that I'm like, oh, look, the Bills. Oh, okay. Yeah, can, they're can, on can... life support right yeah. now, Marsh. You <laughs> might need to get the paddles out for the Bills yeah, right about now. That's okay. I'm, I'm well used to having to do that for the Bills in, uh, when I was growing up as a kid. So it feels like home for me. But no, I appreciate it, Hus. Great job as always covering all things CFL, man. It's always great to catch up with you. And I hope that you and Michael uh, enjoy your holiday season. It should be a nice one coming up in, oh, you know, like five minutes after the Grey Cup. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. It's coming fast. Hey, thanks so much for doing this, pal. Anytime. There he is at TSN underscore Marsh. That is the wonderful Marshall Ferguson. You can check out his site at CF Perspective. Uh, well, I tweeted this out late last night. Got home, figured it would be a perfect time to uh, coronate the championship with an ice cold little brown jug. Uh, had a 1919, fired that one out on the Instagram. Congrats to the champs. Of course, that uh, little brown jug, our great sponsors in cranking out Manitoba's famous local brew the 1919 but uh, all the other new brews are out as well the winter variety pack is available perfect for holiday entertaining and of course just uh, two weeks ago they celebrated their fifth anniversary and you can make the holidays a bit better with the new five-year anniversary brew the brute ipa a celebratory beer brewed for little brown jugs fifth anniversary a champagne like extra dry ipa with flavors of citrus and stone fruit a perfect beer might i suggest to celebrate a Grey Cup championship. Check out littlebrownjug.ca for their gift boxes. They're curating one, or you can build your own. They'll deliver it anywhere. And uh, listen, for your holiday hosting, 
make sure you've got the good stuff for your guests. And that, of course, is 1919, available at the Tap Room on William Avenue or at beer stores throughout the city of Winnipeg. Um, man, I know the folks at Princess Auto were over the moon right now. Great sponsors of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We'll see who the teammates of the game are coming out of the Grey Cup. But um, the connection was the fans last week. Uh, of course, a lot of great teammates, both on and off the field, that made this championship happen. And of course, Princess Auto, proud to support the Bombers and us here at Winnipeg Sports Talk. Of course, the holiday gift guide is here. You'll find the best deals at Princess Auto and the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Find out everything available online over at princessauto.com or pop by and see them at one of the two local Winnipeg locations. And of course, uh, our friends at Boston Pizza were busy yesterday. I know the BPs all around the city were packed. They had the big party with the cheerleaders and Rod Hill and Buzz and Boomer down at DB, uh, BP Polo Park yesterday. Uh, but now, probably a quiet night for a lot of folks that had a lot of fun on the weekend. Perfect night to order Boston Pizza and don't bother cooking. Great Monday nighter tonight. We'll get to that at the Cool Bet lines at the end of the program as well. Uh, but Boston Pizza is available for you at bostonpizza.com for online ordering. Uh, and I would suggest a great selection for Monday Night Football is that wing lovers meal with the three orders, the Panera bread, one of my personal favorites. All right, let's get Remus back in here. Remo, I could do like a five-hour show today talking about this game. There are so many things. And you know, it's going to be great. This is going to be a topic that probably will have a lot of legs amongst our listeners throughout the week. We'll look forward to hopefully catching up with a few of the members of the Grey Cup champions over the next few days. Uh, but man, whether we talk about the scene there, the aftermath for both the Bombers and the Ticats, all the crazy stuff that happened during the football game, the upcoming celebration, um, we haven't even got to things like the halftime, the uh, Ticat fan mushing them going into OT. I mean, uh, Bo Levi Mitchell emerging on the, on, the, uh, on the panel yesterday. Just so much to get to from an incredible day for Winnipeg and CFL football. And of course, another championship here. For the bombers yeah we do have some news coming out um about that celebration here during that conversation with marshall um first off uh, we do have some viewership numbers from a guy adam seaborn tweeting them out uh, go to guy follow two, adam he's the best yeah 2.873 million and i think three down nation was saying that is down um from 2019 and i'm kind of surprised surprised that would be down considering you know went to uh went to an overtime was an incredible finish and usually that draws uh people in and the gray cup celebration wednesday december 15th uh, 6 p.m at ig field it says gates open at 5 p.m free to enter limited concessions are open and they will have gray cup merch available so uh, we'll have to figure out figure out uh, our plan for that us, maybe we'll talk and we'll figure something out. But, yeah, um, definitely. We'll, uh, we'll be down there. And I yeah. imagine most of you that are either listening on the podcast or joining us live on YouTube today will be down there as well. By the way, huge YouTube numbers today. Great to see everyone here. If you are new, um, even with the Bombers winning, we'll be here every day. Focus more on the Jets as we get out of CFL season. Uh, but make sure you hit that red subscribe button and join us daily. And if you would be so kind, hit that thumbs up button. Certainly helps us uh, spread the channel as well. It's been a huge week for us. Last week, a couple days of record downloads. Um, tons of new people popping in, hit 6K subs on the YouTube, which was big for us on Friday. Uh, but with all the excitement happening around Winnipeg sports, 
just know that we're going to be here for you every day, beginning at one live on YouTube and in your podcast feed in and around 3.30 afternoon. So uh, very much thanks to everyone that's been with us throughout this incredible bomber season. And I uh, hope you keep on coming back because uh, there'll be much more to get to bomber off season. And of course, lots going on with the Winnipeg Jets, which we will touch on briefly before the end of the program, but we'll spend more time on the Jets tomorrow as they're back in action, hosting the Buffalo Sabres tomorrow, then a couple more days off, and then the Washington Capitals on Friday. Um, Remo, what did you think of the halftime show? I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with the Arkells. I remember they had a song on the radio a long time ago. I didn't really know any of them going forward, but as far as like a show, I thought it was pretty good. Me too. Um, me too. I, I, I thought they did a really good job. Yeah. I recognize, and this is so funny because I don't listen to a lot of regular commercial radio. Sometimes, you know, if you're out in bars, you'll hear songs and then, oh, okay, you know, I recognize that one. You didn't know where it was. But um, a couple of their songs, I actually ended up recognizing because they were on the NHL soundtrack. I, th I thought I remembered. EA. Yeah, I thought I remembered actually a couple uh, from those. But I thought it, I thought it was it was fine. I mean, they had a lot of people on stage. I, I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, I see a lot of people talking about when they brought the singer <laughs> into into the booth in the fourth quarter. Um, it I was that's bizarre. A, I rewatched the I rewatched the fourth quarter last night, mm -hmm. and of course, you know, you're you're buzzing from the game and. You know, I sort of forgot that, you know, at some of the most important tense times in the game, they're bringing in the lead singer from the Arkells. And I thought their halftime show was amazing. I thought they did a great job. But man, of all the times to do an interview with an entertainer who actually got into the booth and didn't even know what was happening in the game, <laughs> probably yeah. not the probably not the best plan. Um, well, but anyways, I, I thought we'd mention. I thought I'd mention that. Sorry. I, I yeah, I didn't like. I didn't mind them bringing him in, but I mean, the timing is odd. It's a fourth quarter. Um, you know, it's a pretty tight game, and he clearly had no idea what was going on. And I don't blame him. I mean, he's getting ready for his show. He's winding down after. He clearly wasn't paying attention to the game, and he's like, "Oh, the best part is like, oh, Dane Evans got hurt. Is he is he okay?" And Ross Smith's like, "Well, we actually don't know if he's okay, but there he is on the sideline wearing a jacket." I mean, it was. I, I don't want to say. I mean, I know they have to have. I guess they part of the deal. They have to have men. I mean, they it, that they, must be. They push these guys like amount of you know marketing they got from that performance alone. But I mean, whole weeks leading up. Leading up to it, they're pumping their kills. This is the most promotion these guys ever got. They're promoting the tour, and to bring him in the fourth quarter when he had no idea what was going on in the game. I mean, I don't know. And then they're talking, and like uh, Glenn Suter is asking, "So, how was it to perform in front of fans again?" As like Masoli's driving, as you know, they have a chance to ice the game. I know. Um, yeah, I, I and Kanekas. To be fair, I know. I, I mean, I don't blame him for not. I'm not blaming him for not knowing. Because again, he's warming up for the set. He's winding down after, so of course he's not paying attention to the game. But like yeah, they're bringing, they're, they're bringing they're, him there in. There could be a better, there could be a better time or way to work. Yeah, your entertainment guy into the broadcast as opposed mm -hmm. to sticking him in and doing an interview in the middle of one of the most important times of the entire football game. Mm -hmm. But I digress. The other thing that we have to talk about, Remus, is the guy before overtime. Was there anyone that did not see the Thai Cat fan that had his own miniature Grey Cup and they put in the close-up with four seconds left after the Thai Cats had tied it up and he's pouring the beer into the Grey Cup and drinking from it? I mean, this was the equivalent of doing the wave in a 2-2 game with six minutes left like we saw in Calgary. 
That was the kiss of death. And I know I said it out loud to the guys I was with. I got a million tweets about it. That was the worst karma that has ever happened. And I imagine Ticat fan, like I'm worried that this guy becomes Hamilton's Steve Bartman for uh, for drinking out of the cup as they went into OT. And we all know what happened after that. I'm trying to find the picture on Twitter. I should have actually had it ready. Oh, here it is. Sorry, here. I just Googled, uh, I just typed in Twitter, Ticat's fan. And uh, of course... <laughs> It's right here, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's, I mean, I don't like Steve Bartman actually like impacted the game. I think, I think what this guy did <laughs> here he is had did nothing to the game, but I mean, four seconds left in a tie game and you're dreaming. I thought I just assumed, you know, when I was watching it, I didn't think that I just assumed like he ran out of a cup or something and needed to have a drink. I didn't think that it was symbolic of anything. I mean, it was clear, pretty clearly a tie game. The players on the field will decide it but we got a lot of people tweeting at us saying oh. this guy ruined it this is the premature celebration um so shout out yeah shout out to this guy for uh giving the bombers the great cup right it was all this guy and nothing well, on the field considering the wave takes that we've had on this program yes. and the uh, infamous way the jets won the game in calgary which will always be remembered as the wave game on winnipeg sports talk this was an act of of uh, a fan misbehavior, poor timing, and bad karma that was basically everywhere on Twitter. And the hammer, we know what Hamilton's like. That's like Winnipeg. Like if this, I'm just trying to imagine if this happened in 2019 and, you know, in a tight game, it's close right at the end where it's going into overtime. Some bomber fan in the stadium is pouring and drinking from the gray cup like it's over and then the team loses. Uh, it, it, it we'd be into Steve Bartman territory. So I certainly hope this guy can go live a live a good, pleasant, happy life, uh, and doesn't have to dodge Ticat fans for the rest of uh, for the rest of his existence. Was uh, <laughs> was a very memorable moment uh, amongst many in the game. And I'll say what remember we should sort of finish this off. I thought the defense was phenomenal. Um, right off the bat, they were there. You, know, you think of the Janarian Grant fumble, um, you know, early on, you thought, oh, geez, another turnover. They go right back and get the ball back from it. I mean, they were they were as advertised all season long, but could we possibly have had a more fitting way for the season to end than three different members of that Winnipeg Blue Bombers defense touching the football before an interception, a turnover, ends up being the difference for the Bombers to raise that cup again and bring it back to Winnipeg. I, uh, I don't know. I mean, the defense is incredible all season, and it kind of gave you hope that, uh, you know, when the Bombers did score in the fourth quarter, that the defense could hold them. And, you know, talk about three downs versus four downs. I mean, I don't think a game is ever over in a three downs because you just need to get two and outs, and the Bombers defense stepped up. I mean, there's some huge plays. Uh, with Winston Rose on, on the third down stands out, the interception. But as I said earlier, I mean, holding, I mean, Hamilton kicked three field goals. I think the longest one was 13 yards. So, or something, you know, something around there. And when the Ticats, you know, had a chance to put the game away, um, they held them to a field goal, I mean, twice in the fourth quarter. At, at the end, the final drive, and even before that. And those plays, uh, I mean, were absolutely massive. And um, and then we had, you know, a couple of Ticats penalties, which we've talked about. One one play we did actually didn't mention, Kenny Lawler taking that intentional um it pass, offensive pass interference um yes on on what could have been a you know an interception and which allowed them to kick a field goal i mean that was a huge play too and 
Um, you know, it's funny. I mean, if a defensive player does that, you get the ball to one. But I mean, it was pretty clear it was going to be picked off, and he grabbed the guy's jersey and hold him. I mean, what a there, you know, there were just so many like little situational little awareness. Mm -hmm. Situational awareness is so important when you get to that level in one game. And um, you know, there were as we just talked with Marshall, there was a few instances where I don't think Hamilton's situational awareness was good enough. Um, and that certainly was a play that uh, from Kenny Lawler that you know, if you look back in, was maybe the best penalty that he ever took. I want to mention Winston Rose as well, Reem, because I know that there was a couple plays that there was connected on him. But man, for such a small little guy, he made a couple of huge tackles in that football game. I mean, uh, you know, he was basically the guy that was in on that big stop on third and one or third and two. And then late in the game with Hamilton, you know, pressing into that red zone, you know, we sort of see Adam Big Hill make that hit. I'm not sure if Winston Rose is not there at that moment to keep, I believe it was Acklin out of the end zone there. I'm not sure if Big Hill does that alone. So, you know, it was just interesting, a perfect example of guys that are kind of known for one thing, stepping up in another role when their team needed them the most. And, you know, I know we didn't talk a lot about Winston Rose. I mean, certainly Dietrich Nichols, you know, may have been the most outstanding player in the game. Um, you know, the play that he made to break up what would have been a game-winning touchdown at the end will be one that goes down in bomber lore. I mean, I thought Alford was solid for the game, and those guys had been all season long. Uh, but those DBs, more than just covering receivers, made some major major impact plays yesterday that helped the Bombers bring that cut back. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know if there's one signature play. Was it Nichols um, uh, breaking up the Ackland play? I mean, just getting a hand on it. And you do also wonder, you know, I'm sure they've ran that play many times before, but because they were going into the wind, if it just slowed it up just enough, the wind, so he was able to get, you know, get there and get a hand on just to knock away. Because I thought... You know, I was watching it, like, the angle looked like he was pretty open, and they were going to catch it. And I also wonder, too, I mean, they were there at, right at, like, the, was the four-yard line or the six-yard line? I mean, what if they would have, have gone, you know, like, gone for it again instead <laughs> of going for the might. overtime? I mean, you're there, you, you're never going to have a better chance to win. Um, I mean, it's a ballsy play, especially, you're basically, I mean, it was a home game for the Ticats, but, I mean, I was, would be more nervous watching that play than when they went to overtime at all, because it seemed like the Bombers' offense was rolling, and even though, you know, the Ticats had just marched all the way down from the 35, I think you were still pretty confident in the Bombers' defense watching to it. I mean, absolutely, uh, I mean, absolutely incredible, um, well, what, I mean, what a game. I mean, we're thinking about this for a, for a long, long time. Well, and we're not done talking about it. I mean, we'll have much more on the mm -hmm. Grey Cup. I mean, hopefully we'll hook up with some of the Bombers and coaches over the course of the next few days. Parade set up for Wednesday night, or not parade, excuse me, a gathering, a celebration, if you will, at IG Field, limited concessions, Grey Cup merch, all that fun stuff, 6 p.m., mm -hmm on wednesday um hey i want to give a big thanks to our friends uh nick and nikki and the nick and nikki dq and uh, and chris as well in the chat those great cupcakes they did on the weekend and we had a couple winners coming out of winnipeg sports talk on friday were absolutely phenomenal another great example of if you are doing a special event or a party um the nick and nikki dq group will make an amazing delicious ice cream cake that will take your gathering to the next level hit them up on insta at dq manitoba and uh, get your order in just in time for the holidays. And of course, you can pick it up at any of the four Nick and Nicky DQs, DQ Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, or DQ St. Anne's, which is now open year-round 
and available on Skip the Dishes and Uber Eats. And I do suggest you try that new Steakhouse a burger. It is absolutely elite. Uh, you can also follow Nick and Nikki at the Nick and Nikki DQ on Twitter. Uh, and of course, our friends at Canadian Club. I joked earlier, speaking with uh, with Hammer, I thought that well, the last the last vestiges of CC would be poured in that Western final, but apparently not, because the Bomber Nation is going to be getting back to the stadium now. I'm not saying right now all the bars will be open. I think they said there'll be limited concessions, but I have a feeling they'll sell a few of those. And if uh, if not, if you just want to party with the official spirit of the Bombers right through the holidays, check out the uh, Canadian Club displays at all the local Manitoba liquor marts right now. Bonus air miles for your purchases, and you can enter to win 5,000 air miles as well with Canadian Club. Uh, of course, CC and uh, the Beam Suntory family, great sponsors of ours. And of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, we'll finish up the show with the Cool Bet lines in just a minute. Uh, but Remo, I know today was all about the champs. It was all about the Bombers. Uh, but quickly, let's touch on the Winnipeg Jets because they were bracket practice today. I'll say this, that Friday game against the Canucks feels like it was about a week ago. Uh, but what a wild roller coaster that was. I mean, a really, really fun game. Uh, and unfortunately, Blake Wheeler's game of the year, he was phenomenal. Could have had a hat trick maybe in the first period. Finally got off the schneid and scored his goal on maybe one of the poorer chances that he had. Uh, but my God, Kyle Connor, best player on the ice on Friday night. Uh, they come back. Eric Comrie was a little shaky at times, letting him go. I'm sure he'd like to have back, but he looked good in the third period. They get it to OT. They don't get the extra point, but... Um, three out of four in those back-to-backs a couple days off and now of course taking on the Buffalo Sabres but the latest from the coach this morning with an update nothing clear yet but it's going to be a while since we see the captain back in the lineup out for weeks not days according to coach Maurice yeah you have to be uh, pretty sad for Blake Wheeler I mean it didn't look great knee bending in a way that I don't think naturally it's supposed to so yeah Maurice saying today weeks and they couldn't call anyone up I knew I saw the lines Nathan Beaulieu was on the um, on the fourth line as a forward. I was like, "What the heck is going on? What are these guys doing?" But where's uh, the Gus bus? Yeah, where? Yeah, what's going on? We're waiting for it. And um, I think that it seemingly there was a COVID situation with the moose, so they are waiting to call someone up. And when they are able to, I'm sure they will do that. It's possible we see eleven and seven again. Although I mean, yeah, I, I think that's the plan for tomorrow yeah. night. It is going to be eleven and seven. And now whether that. Seventh defenseman is Nate Bolio playing on the fourth line or just playing defense. Not too sure right now, um, but that's the way things look. Tony Nato, Svechnikov, and Bolio as the fourth line. Mm -hmm. um, Paul Stastny moving up. Well, I guess essentially Andrew Cott moving up into Wheeler's spot. Stastny moving up from the Lowry line alongside Dubois and Ehlers. Harkins getting the move up with Lowry and Veselin. I like that move. I think Hark deserves it. I think he's been playing well lately. Um, and then uh, basically bull you in, but you'd have to think that um, probably, I mean, as long as there's not a big COVID outbreak and there's no issues with bringing a player from the moose into the jets room that by Friday, I think we should be able to um, stop begging for the Gus bus to make a stop in the jet dressing room. But we'll be talking about it having actually happened. And uh, I'd be surprised if we didn't see Gustafson in the lineup by the end of the week, considering the fact that Blake Wheeler's not going to be back anytime soon. And of course, Billy Hainel has been returned to the Moose. Yeah, so we'll wait, wait and see about that. Um, Just on Friday's game, I mean, that overtime, uh, incredible. There's one shot that Kyle Connor had, which was... Um, 
just a quick slapper off the post. I mean, this guy is on another level. He's playing incredible. I mean, we're looking at a possible 50-goal scorer here. Um, yeah, and that guy, and we talk about how much that now he is the one driving that top line. And before, he was kind of riding passenger with Schaefer and Wheeler. But he's really, you know, he's, it's weird saying he's having a breakout season because we knew how good he was. But he's really, I mean, he's really had another level. Um, the play he made a pass to Mark Shifley as well on the goal, um, pretty pretty ridiculous. So well, that line, the yeah. Connor Shifley Wheeler line, that really takes some hits for what's been happening in the defensive yes. zone at times. They look like the Harlem Globetrotters at times on Friday night. I mean, that line was so dominant. Uh, and listen, it could have easily been two points for the Winnipeg Jets. They get the one, probably disappointed they didn't get back to back wins. Uh, but back at practice today and, uh, you know, a nice opportunity with Buffalo coming into town to, you know, make hay against one of the weaker teams in the East mm -hmm. and then get ready for a huge weekend where they'll be hosting Alex Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals on Friday night and then a huge Central Division matchup with the St. Louis Blues on Sunday afternoon. Um, so much more on the Jets tomorrow. We'll have the latest from the morning skate tomorrow on the program as well as plenty of more bomber coverage following the Grey Cup champs who are arriving this afternoon back in the peg. Don't forget, no airport welcome for the team this year. They'll be going to, uh, it's probably a separate, you know, charter air jumping on a bus. So um, they don't want to bring people together for COVID. I am personally very disappointed there's no parade. I would think that outside you'd be able to do that. But uh, we'll be ready for Wednesday night and celebrating with the team and Blue Bomber fans together one more time at IG Field. Um, let's get to our cool bet lines and shout out to everyone that got on the Bombers. Remo, we mentioned the good teams win and great teams cover. And by nature of the game, going to overtime and then the touchdown and the two-pointer, Bombers win by eight. So it didn't matter what number you got the Bombers on the point spread. You were a winner. If you waited throughout the week, got an amazing line of the Bomber money line just to win the game. Was down to minus 118 before the game. So everybody on the Bomber side, as well as the over was happy yesterday and cashed a bunch of tickets. And by the way, I know there's a few folks that jumped on that prop that Coolbet had before with the team, CFL team, CFL City to win the Grey Cup and make the playoffs. Well, the first check is in. The Bombers have won the Grey Cup. So uh, we'll just need to see the Jets make the playoffs. And that will be a nice payoff for many people that jumped on it. Uh, we do have Monday Night Football tonight. Great matchup. It's the Cards. Hosting the Rams. I've been wondering why this line was so low all week long. It's been minus two and a half. It's now minus three. And I just got a message from uh, one of my buddies that says, oh, oh, Rams are losing players by the minute to COVID for tonight's game. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Higby, uh, and, um, Higby and uh, Jalen Ramsey, I think, are, are on the COVID list right now. Oh, wow. Jalen Ramsey. That's a huge, huge loss for them on the defensive side of the football. This is a huge game for, uh, for the Rams, um, considering... You know, they had a great start, but, you know, they have not been good over the last month. A couple of really embarrassing primetime losses and now going up against the team that has been uh, the class of the NFC so far this season. Um, it was a big night. And I'll just say this. 2019 was a very special year. Bombers win the Grey Cup. That was also the Chiefs season. And the Chiefs are back, ladies and gentlemen. An absolute humiliation of the Raiders yesterday who decided that they'd do a big stomp on the logo at the beginning of the game. 
and then went out and were down 35 nothing before they uh, they even knew it. So uh, beware what you do before the game last night. Uh, a, lot, a bunch of other great games. Browns beat the Ravens in a real tight one, although a dirty backdoor cover by Baltimore. Uh, blowout wins by the Saints, uh, the Texans, the Titans, I should say, the Chiefs, um, the Seahawks over the Texans, Broncos crushed the Lions. Uh, you had the Chargers win by 16 over the Giants. Probably the game of the day was one that probably nobody saw because they were all tuned into the Grey Cup. That was Jimmy G and the Niners coming back to win in overtime, 26-23 over the Bengals. And another OT game, speaking of big comebacks, the Bills put up 17 in the fourth quarter to get an OT, but still have their hearts broken by Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Bucks 33, Bills 27. Packers in a high-scoring game on Sunday Night Football, 45-30 winners over the Chicago Bears. And then, yes, it is tonight. The first-place cards, 10-2, and taking on the L.A. Rams, who uh, are losing players, so you might want to keep uh, close attention to both the injury report and the line as we uh, as you get closer to game time tonight. Of course, if you haven't been at CoolBet before, use the promo code WST for a 100% bonus on your first deposit up to $200. Uh, good night, I think, for a lot of Winnipeggers, Reem, to just sit back, relax, maybe order some food, get on the couch, watch football, and get a good sleep because I think there's a lot of people really feeling uh, a great Sunday and an amazing weekend, certainly here in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba after last night. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was hard to uh, calm down after that game yesterday. Um, I Again, you go from thinking that, oh, how are they playing so terrible in the game of the season that matters to I can't believe what I'm watching right now and I can't believe what I just saw in the excitement of uh, the game-ending play um, the triple touch interception. I mean, I don't know which, which player are we putting on a postage stamp here from the game. Is it going to be the interception that sealed it, the Darwin Adams touchdown, Sergio Castillo's leg, Dietrich Nichols uh, with the tip on Jalen Acklin? Um, I think well, there's Nichols a lot of, did the Nichols the did the Acklin play and the initial tip on yeah. the winning. So I think Nichols might be the guy. And I mean, man, what a season! What a season! Mm -hmm. A rookie coming in to a championship defense. All the talk was about who are the DBs going to be. We joked around that they brought 35 of them into camp. Well, Alford and Nichols uh, were full marks from the beginning of the season. Um, you know, really beginning of the season, what happened? First drive of the year, the Hamilton Tiger Cats went all the way down and scored a touchdown. And then that was that. They didn't score again in that game. And um, the rest was really history for this Blue Bomber defense, but incredibly appropriate that three players got in on a, Tick, a pick, a turnover, a walk-off interception as the Bombers are Grey Cup champions again. So get ready for the party on Wednesday night, 6 p.m. at IG Field. We will have more celebration and celebratory content tomorrow on the program. And, of course, we'll also get ready for the Jets and the Buffalo Sabres back on the ice, but without their captain. Find out, uh, it, as I said, Maurice said they expect to play 11-7 tomorrow but we'll see about that call up to the Manitoba Moose at some point this week. We expect it to be David Gustafson finally getting a shot back with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, huge thanks to Jeff Hamilton for joining us from Toronto. Marshall Ferguson for joining us from Hamilton. Uh, as I said, we're not going to stop talking about this Blue Bomber team for a long time. We hope to have some more comment and maybe even some special guests tomorrow on the program. So make sure to join us at 1 o'clock. If you haven't already, do us a favor, folks. Hit that thumbs up button. Make sure you're subscribed. 
The Grey Cup celebration will continue all week long on Winnipeg Sports Talk, and we'll look forward to seeing you on Wednesday over at the stadium in and around 6 p.m. Thanks again to our sponsors, F Apparel, Vita Health, Culligan Water, Royal Sports, Manitoba Battery, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club Whiskey, and our betting partner over at Cool Bet Canada. For Michael Remus, I'm Andrew Patterson. Get some sleep, Bomber fans. We'll see you tomorrow, and we'll do it all over again right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.